I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit, but hopefully we are one of your good habits. That's a terrible intro, but we're going to do it just the same. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. It is Tuesday, the 7th of September, 2021. And it is time for Morning Combat. My name is, as I mentioned, I'm Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports and Showtime. The gentleman on this side of the screen is your resident, resident king of Connecticut, my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell, BC. Nice to see you, good friend. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much, Luke. I'm doing great. Um, Don't you know when you go, it's the perfect ending to the bad day. Like Sheryl Crow said, Luke, I hope that MK is everyone's favorite mistake because this show... Uh, you know, is accidentally awesome. Only it ain't no accident, okay? There's art behind this. There's passion. There's fuel. So as I always say, if this ain't your favorite combat sports show up to this point, it will be. Wasn't it Amy it, Grant who it, also said, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, pink furry dice, pull up a parking lot, that kind of uh, thing? How, how about a genius named Joni Mitchell who actually wrote that? So that's Amy right. Grant, she covered no. Joni Mitchell, yes. That's right. No, that's not right. today. I, not I got today. it from Amy okay. Grant. But hey, shout uh, out to our friends... A- Shout out to our friends in the music business, uh, Oteil Burbridge, friend of the show, Dead and Company, back on tour. Luke, I didn't get to ch- didn't get to catch them in Hartford this weekend because I had other plans, but uh, great to see. And just like Dead and Company, Luke, chords, strings, we brings right melody. MK, <laughs> rhythm is life, right? Well, so it's a, it's a shame that you miss them in Hartford, but the good news is we won't miss Dying Fetus when they play the 18th at Webster Hall. I'm looking forward to that experience, formative experience with you. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> meet me at the Waterbury Open. Yeah, indeed. All right, great. Uh, all right, well, we got a lot to get to today. We have tons of stuff. Of course, over the weekend, there was a big UFC show. We got some thriller headlines. We have your questions from DMs from Donks. We have, have you seen this shit? We have a lot of stuff to get to. Look, so we no have a like- loaded, have you seen this shit, okay? Like, okay. A, I mean, it is, I mean, it's like a loaded diaper full of shit because that's what happens so, when we take a week off of this segment, okay? So get so ready. So I'm trying to think. It's going to be a lot of... Uh, uh, elder abuse, I'm guessing, Maybe. and then a lot of uh, drunk women falling. Is that there may be some milk crates involved? There may be some rate my tats going on. So this should get fun, Luke. Okay. All right, I, I'm I'm genuinely and I mean this, looking forward to that. It should be a lot of fun. All right, first things first. If you're new here or not, either way, please give the video a thumbs up. And if you are new here to the MK experience, you're looking, you know, kicking the tires, seeing what's up. Hit that subscribe button. We have tons of content for you. We have a show, obviously, today. We have a show tomorrow as well, BC. And we have a show on Friday, and plus my live chat will be on Thursday. So basically the entire rest of the week, we have live programming for you, plus a lot of stuff in between. Of course, you can see us there on social media, on our lower thirds. Note that Brian and I have different names, between ourselves anyway, for uh, Twitter and Instagram. If you want to try Showtime to get some of that Showtime Championship Boxing, some of that Bellator, something else that they offer on the app, whatever you want, you can do that. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial, 
If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. That's up there for you to do. You want to check out merch, BC? I know you know about this. They can go to morningcombat.store, and it turns out, depending on when you check it, there's all kinds of new stuff we didn't even know was on there. Yeah, we're, we're trying to iron things out. Uh, the people have had questions. Why is it like this? Why is it like that? We're going to get to the bottom of it. But if you check right now, morningcombat.store, there is some new merch that even Luke and I didn't know about. You want to have BC on a Hawaiian shirt? You can buy that right now. Luke, you want to outfit your beautiful wife in a fake donk Louis Vuitton morning combat duffel bag or backpack or purse. Um, you can do that as well, Luke. So, uh, you know, maybe you should do a solid for the family and uh, maybe get one for Abuela too, okay? Uh, I will I will consider doing that, which means I probably won't. But I wanted to put that out there um, just the same. So what have I done, BC? We've done all of the major stuff. We have. Um, Am I forgetting anything? Well, still, oh. you know, we'll update a PSA on healthy living. It is, it is healthy liver season. So, guys, remember gas station... Uh, food is the silent killer, so be careful of that. I've got a big doctor's appointment that I just had to reschedule for for another week, but uh, I'll get the results back. Have I changed my life for the better? We're gonna find out. I will let you know, Luke, that I've been, uh, you know, I've been eating more Latin salads than uh, Uncle Pepe on the weekends lately. So uh, let's 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 hope that the numbers are good. Okay. Good. Well, you know what? I can say this, and I mean this definitively. We definitely had one or two nights where, or two meals anyway, where we definitely indulged. But I can say with with the greatest amount of sincerity, I saw what Brian was eating for the most part when we were there in Cleveland. Me too. And uh, it's a lot cleaner. A lot yeah. cleaner. A lot yeah. a lot more smoothies, a lot more green juices, a lot more fruits, veggies, you know, that kind of a thing. So it, it's, it still puts me in the bathroom job. in the end, Luke. It, 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 it still, you know, I end up in the same True. place in the end, but it's about the purpose and getting there. And Luke, don't mistake our kindness of late toward our friends and or enemies in the business to something soft. We are still hot men on this show, and uh, we're coming for the competition, okay? So, uh, you know, as, as many a famous Canadian fighter would say, uh, if you're going to come, come on. And MK's coming, brother. So, uh, you know, hey, happy-go-lucky. Everybody's a friend. There's space for us all. We're still the best in show, and we're bringing it every, every I think I think today time. is the last day to vote for the World MMA Awards. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's true. So if you would like to vote, I think I don't know if we have a lower third four. Yeah, we do. Best MMA programming nominee. Listen, we're up against juggernauts, okay? There's Amazon, there's Google, there's Apple, and then there's us. Like fucking Fubo or something, you know, but Fubo is good. I like Fubo. So you gotta give the Fubo the the, the vote here. All right. More uh, of a Fubu we... fan, Luke, right? Fubu. Uh Fubu, that's right. For uh, us, if you buy wanna... us, okay? Okay. Yes. Let me finish. So before we go any further. We do have a bit of an announcement we have to make here before we start the programming, which is Morning Combat is now presented by DraftKings. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, DraftKings has gotten into the MK business. So here's what's happening, folks. As we all know, the NFL is back, and you can get in on the action with the DraftKings Sportsbook. There are two apps. There's the Daily Fantasy app, and there's the Sportsbook app. What we need you to do, and by the way, of course, the DraftKings Sportsbook is an official betting partner with the NFL. NFL's returning. DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. That's a hell of a deal, Luke. That's a yeah. freaking hell of a deal right there. All right. So here's what you're going to do. You got to go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I downloaded it myself. It's very good. Easy to bet. And by the way, of course, we understand. Some of you might watch NFL. Some of you might not. Some of you might be gambling DGENs. Some of you might not. 
but understand something. Of course, we want everyone to gamble responsibly, but if you want to get on that boxing action, BC, or that UFC action, they've even got a separate section on the app today for just Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Wow. Plenty of of ways to bet. I mean, some of y'all might get with this, and some of y'all won't, but listen, let me clear my throat to tell you that uh, for week one, Luke, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at the $1 million top prize. So if there was ever a time to get into NFL, put a little cheddar on your watching experience, there's a lot to earn as well as learn from from tuning in. And you can do that with MK and DraftKings, brother. All right, so understand something. Here's what you got to do. Of course, as he said this, uh, and I did too, one more time, 200 bucks for free if you bet instantly one or more dollars in any of the games. Sportsbook, if it's not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with Daily Fantasy. And for one week, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot, as you indicated, at $1 million. So here's the call to action that we need you folks to recognize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the promo code COMBAT. Now look at how it's spelled right below my face. And of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I will spell it for you. It's COMBAT how we spell it in the name with a K. K-O-M-B-A-T. Use the promo code COMBAT to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any football game. BC, I'm a big Washington football team guy. I know they're going to have the Chargers coming up to begin the season. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but I know, I know that they play the Giants in week two. I'm willing to bet that my terrible Washington football team beats I don't know if the Giants are your team, but I know a lot of folks from your area that kind of root for the Giants. This is I, I live I live these days more in New England Patriots country, Luke, or should I say Tampa Bay Bucks country because of all these uh, sidewinding bag and winders who have uh, jumped all over wherever TB12 is going these days. But either way, Luke, you know, more or less, you should just understand that my favorite NFL team is whoever is playing the Washington football team each week. So uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to come after you this year, and I'm ready to do some damage on DraftKings. Better believe that. You'll, you'll probably have more good days than bad days. I'll put it that way. And by the way, of course, as you indicated, you can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. That promo code is COMBAT. With a K, K O M B A T, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Got a gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or in Indiana, 1 800 9 with it. I mean, look, you uh, do BC, have to know when to excited. fold them. Very yeah, excited about DraftKings. You do involved. have to know when to fold them. But uh, here's the deal. How cool is DraftKings, by the way? How cool is DK getting in with MK? Okay? That's okay with me. All right? Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. Synergy. Synergy. So Bukake, we, we yeah, let's think. do it. And for folks at home who might have been like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Folks, this is big for the show. This is big for the show. If you care about the show and you want to be involved with the show's success and its growth and its future, making sure that you know all things DraftKings are happy, and of course we know that you will, is a big deal. So yeah. so get on it. Use the promo code COMBAT with a K. And by the way, they're giving you 200 bucks to just go play with. Have fun on the Sportsbook app. You can use it on Dana White's Contender Series. You can use it for the next UFC pay-per-view. You can use it for the next big boxing event. Whatever you want. But of course, you're going to start with the NFL. The NFL kicks off I here. mean, look, can, can um, we let people in on a little secret? Watching fights when you have a betting interest... It's almost ten times as fun as watching fights, right? I mean, it's pretty damn good. Okay, I'm just saying, just saying, Luke. All right, I've done it. I've been there. I, I won't. I won't disagree. All right, but with that in mind, BC, it is time to get back 
to action. We start with topic number one here on today's show, which is, of course, the main event from UFC Vegas, whatever it was, 30, 36, I can't even keep them straight anymore. But of course, it was the middleweight contest between Derek Brunson and Darren, Derek Brunson and Darren Till. And of course, Darren Till losing via third round submission. BC, this was a bad loss for him. My question, though, of course, starts with Derek Brunson. Five fights in a row. This was, at least on paper, his toughest test to date. And he not only wins, he won that one walking away. It was not especially difficult for him. He took some big punches. So the question is, BC, given what he's accomplished, is Derek Brunson owed a title shot? I don't think so. And that's nothing against what he has accomplished. I just look at the bottleneck of this division and some of the other sexy names looking to knock on that door and get in. And I feel like with timing, I feel like Derek Brunson's going to have to win one more. I may end up being wrong. We're going to see what happens. But you'd mentioned something, and we're certainly going to get into Darren Till in a second. But even more than how bad of a loss that this is for Darren Till's career arc, I think the bigger story is how huge of a win this is for 37-year-old Derek Brunson because, Luke, there are levels to when you are, you know, resuscitating his, your career, which is what he's done in recent years, uh, moving down um, to Sanford MMA and really kind of going all in, becoming a more patient and game-planning fighter, leaning on some of his strengths, being like less reckless. When you do that against a certain level, again, Elias Teodoro, a Edmund Shabazian even, uh, there, you know, you can sort of look at that and go, okay, Derek Brunson's a wily veteran. Maybe these guys aren't, you know, uh, who the, who they thought they were going to be, and he got the win. When you step up to the level of a Darren Till who came in with, with always comes in with a big name factor and a high buzz factor in terms of his future, uh, and this storyline here was about how Darren Till's going to turn it around after all these elite losses, and you have as dominant a performance as Derek Brunson had. Luke, I, I, I thought this was when the story was going to end. How many times, Luke? Whether it's even Andre Arlovsky about five years ago, how many times have we seen a fighter who once had a name, who hit a wall, took on some big losses, and in Derek Brunson's case, yeah, he always lost to the elite, but he always got knocked out by the elite. You feel like you know when that ceiling's coming where you say, it's a good story, we'll talk about it heading into this fight, but I know who this man is, and he's going to hit the wall. And that's why I told you put your money on Darren Till last week, and I was wrong. And I'll take the L right here. Friday's dead wrong. How about right now? BC dead wrong. But I was happy to be dead wrong here because Darren Brunson, in terms of the natural career arc and flow, in my opinion, wasn't supposed to win this fight. That's why he was the betting underdog. But Luke, he dominated it. And what was great in the fact that not only did he win for himself, but Luke, when this third round opened and Darren Till started to finally put together big punches and Derek Brunson was getting wobbled. Am I wrong, Luke? You were like, oh, I've seen this before, right? So great turnaround, Derek Brunson, but I've seen this movie before, and you're going to get stopped, and we're going to say, wow, he you know, he dominated the fight until he got stopped. But for him, Luke, to transition into a level change shot, full mount, force Till to give up the back, and then dominantly force the tap, Luke, he's better than I thought he was at this point. And while I think the bottleneck atop the division and the fact that Costa and Vittoria are coming back, you know, like maniacs looking to get big wins and get back in this picture. And Jared Cannonier's there as well. I don't think it would be next for Derek Brunson, but if it was, I wouldn't hate it. These are five dominant wins in a row, and he had to walk through fire in this one in round three. Hey, Derek Brunson with the Cisco hair, much respect. All right, I was wrong. And you were right, brother. And that's the story here, Luke. Yeah, we'll get into Darren Till. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, was he ever as good as we thought he was? All that shit. 
But this is Derek Brunson's time right now on Tuesday morning right here on Morning Combat. So, uh, Derek Brunson, welcome to the Super Elite. You've teased it in the past. Now you're in it, bro, at 37. And uh, I was wrong, and I got to readjust your ceiling. I'll tell you what, I, I agree with basically all of that. And I, too, I think I was wrong on Friday as well. I, I mean, you know, I'm never super confident, as you know, in some of these picks. But I kind of thought till you know, he might get taken down a couple times, but would more or less find a way to get it done. I just was totally wrong. He had no answer for it. And as you indicated, we'll talk about that in a second. But let's focus on Derek Brunson. I echo everything you said, and I would add one more thing to it, BC. I've now seen it enough in the modern era where I'm, I, I think we need to accept there are some guys, and it's hard to know. In fact, it's very hard to know which ones are going to pan out in this direction. But there's a kind of guy who kind of hovers in that top 7 to top 15 space for a long time. They get some good wins. They beat the ones they're supposed to beat. But they don't really ever quite get ahead because they keep making mistakes or there's other guys in the division just better than them. But somewhere around their mid, in this case, late 30s, they begin to figure it out. Now, this is a little bit different in the case with someone like Benil Dariush, but I would put him somewhere in that camp. A Carlos Diego Fajera, I would put him in that camp as well. And now you've got Derek Brunson in that camp where they kind of just took a long time to get to it. But MMA is so difficult. Some of these guys obviously start a little bit later in the MMA journey athletically in terms of the number of their age than, than some other sports, so it kind of explains it. But we need to reserve space, yes, for two different kinds of guys, or ladies, obviously, one, the ones who get to the UFC when they're 23, and then by the time they're 28, they're very different in many cases. Or the opposite, someone who wasn't necessarily that great. I mean, they were good, obviously very respectable, somewhere in their late 20s, maybe kind of beginning of early 30s. But around 33, 34, 35, a light switch goes off. And maybe it was the move to Sanford MMA, maybe it was some awareness competitively about some of the fights he was just kind of giving away, chasing down opponents and running into punches. But that seems to be in the past, not only BC... Did he take his time in the stand-up? And as you indicated, took some big punches. You asked me, did I feel like, uh-oh, here's the beginning of the end? No, because he took big punches against Shabazian and stayed cool. He took some big punches. Like, dude, Kevin Holland dropped him in the first round. Everybody forgets that because he got dominated. What did Derek Brunson do? Stayed calm, stayed composed, and then took his game to the next level. On the ground, BC, he also took his time. He didn't rush positions. He didn't rush bad punches. He didn't gas himself out. Man, this guy, you know, I don't know if he took the things he was already good at and made them a lot better. At ground and pound, you can make an argument about that a little bit. But what I would say is what he did was just look at what are all the things that I can clean up and what would that do for my game? It turns out it does a lot for your game. If you just take your time, you're already good at this stuff, don't lose bearing, don't lose focus, stick to the game plan, use your very, very formidable skills, and look at what happened. Darren Tillett turned out, BC, never had a chance. He was never going to win that fight. What a performance from Derek Brunson. And and look, Brunson's ground upon, as you mentioned, was better than, than it had been in the past. You know, I, I'm really impressed, obviously, in this five-fight win streak with the poise that Derek Brunson of old relied on his athleticism too much, relied on the gamble of, uh, you know, I'm going to go in there and try to land the big one. This guy's so poised now and so calculated. And, you know, with th at 37, his athleticism hasn't waned. His wrestling's better. His, you know, his transitions, every everything about it, Luke. I mean, he got that tap quick. So uh, it's interesting, Luke. I, I, you asked me, will he get the next title shot? Does he deserve the next title shot? I want to spin it back and ask you that same thing. If we expect Adesanya and, and Robert Whitaker part two to take place at some point in early 2022, barring, you know, COVID going in the right direction. And Brunson said himself, Luke, and I, we haven't mentioned it until now, he had legitimate issues in training camp three weeks out, was unable to spar, didn't mention it at all in the interviews, which you love. 
And you know, Ali, Ali Abdelaziz, as manager manager of the Stars, told Brett Okamoto afterwards specifically the details. I don't have that info in front of me, uh, which it was, but it was, these are significant injuries, Luke. He said, "I don't mind waiting because I got to heal." Do you think, regardless of who wins that rematch, he could be next? I mean, how do you see, you know, two, three, four, five in the rankings? Guys like Cannonier, Costa, uh, Vittori playing out against each other. Could the C's part that Brunson slides in there next? I don't think so. You do have the rematch angle with Adesanya, but that might work against him in this case because it wasn't a title shot the first time they fought, but it also wasn't very competitive. Granted, we're both saying that this is a new Brunson, and I do believe that it is, or certainly a significantly, you know, corner-turning Brunson. But, you know, it's like you want to run that one back already. I, I don't I don't think so, especially when Jared Cannonier is sitting there. Paulo Costa, I, you know, if he can find a way back, I think he's still scheduled to fight Marvin Vittori at some point. I haven't looked at the dates on that. You know, he's still sitting at number two in the rankings. Now, again, you can argue whether or not that should put him right back in the top shot or not. But you indicated, BC, at the beginning of your answer, there is a logjam. Paulo Costa is ahead of him. Jared Cannonier is ahead of him. Derek Brunson is sitting at four. Whitaker is sitting at one. Whitaker and Adesanya have business. So the question is, does Derek Brunson get to leapfrog, basically, Paulo Costa and Jared Cannonier? Seems like you got to beat one of them. Seems like you got to beat at least one more. But if you do that, you beat number three or number two, at that point, they cannot deny you. That would be, to me, the absolute no doubt about it. And by the way, we should say this. Dude, how many fighters make it to the UFC and do well and never put together five-fight win streaks? And never put, never put together five-fight win streaks where some of the five fights include ranked contenders inside of the top ten or even top five? Dude, Derek Brunson has done something fairly rare, actually, and I, I, he should be incredibly proud of himself, and I'm sure, in fact, that he is. Here's what's more likely to happen. More likely is he's going to fight Cannonier next, Luke, and I think that would be a deserving for both final stop to secure the next title shot. And I just want to plant something in your mind and the minds of everybody, and maybe I just love the fact that Adesanya and Whitaker, in my opinion, are all-time greats competing at their primes in the same division at the same time. We all believe Robert Whitaker might actually be better right now than he was back then. It's not out of the, pe the picture that A, Robert Whitaker beats Adesanya, and B, Luke, they go directly into a trilogy. So I think that that potential adds even more, you know, to the idea that Brunson's going to have to do a little bit more work. But, you know, he's on such a run right now that, hey, Derek, get healthy. Stay, you know, stay in the gym. Stay, stay focused. Stay preparing. And uh, I, I, I'm not saying I would favor him over Cannoneer, but he's in this elite circle, and he belongs, you know? And that's great. That's so great to see. That's why the Jared Cannonier fight's kind of important, because we saw what Cannonier did to Hermanson. He was able to stuff the takedown. Now, I'm not saying Hermanson has the same style or ability of takedowns or composure or fight style that, that, that Derek Brunson does. There's meaningful differences. But what was one thing that we saw from that Cannonier and Hermanson fight? It was that Cannonier was able to stuff the takedowns, scramble to his feet, and then put the kind of offensive heat on the feet against a guy like Hermanson that he basically couldn't, he couldn't handle it anymore. That would be something you would at least think would be possible, if not probable, against a guy like Brunson. So the reason why you like the Cannoneer fight is not because, BC, just, just that he's one step ahead of him in the rankings, because that can be obviously quite arbitrary, but that he poses just enough of an interesting test to see you know, uh, exactly how good he is, how far you can push this. And if you can beat a guy like that, obviously, you deserve to be in a title shot position. Conversely, BC, if a guy like Jared Cannoneer can beat Derek Brunson, this one who's got great takedowns, doesn't rush seemingly anything at this point, can get hit, doesn't fold, doesn't panic, makes this is the big deal. 
He just makes good decisions. He makes great decisions all the time. And and by the way, this guy's been fighting since the Strike Force days. Ooh. That's a hell of a competitor for Jared Cannonier to walk over as and, well. And maybe do maybe everyone doesn't share this opinion, but I think also what Cannonier would offer Brunson is this: you know, a chance to beat a guy. I don't want to say straight up because that implies the wrong intention. But here's what I actually mean: this five fight win streak has seen him expose guys who weren't quite ready, or maybe in the case of Darren Till, who we're going to talk about in a second, who have legitimate flaws. So. It's one thing to expose a flaw in another man and, and you know, will your way to a victory against somebody as strong as Cannoneer who's coming off such a strong win in which I thought he, you know, bounced back and learned from that Whitaker defeat and really looked strong in this last fight. This would be a win that, you know, you're not backdooring into a title shot. You're not doing anything but earning it, right, Luke? Is there anything to that? Not that you take anything away from his wins over an Edmund Shabazian or over a even uh, the guy with the Jurassic back who was in jail. You know what I'm talking about there. But, you know, to a certain degree, you could almost be overly critical and say, well, those guys were flawed and Brunson just exposed it. Jerk Cannonier ain't really that flawed. You beat him, you earn that title shot. So I kind of want to see Brunson have to do that. And if he does it, Luke... He, he, you know, there would be there would be no questions. There'd be no one left criticizing at that table. A six-fight win streak with wins over uh, Darren Till and Jared Cannonier to get a title shot, given the lay of the land and where he's at, is more than sufficient. We all know some people get shortcuts. Derek Brunson's not going to be a guy that gets shortcut because we looked at his old resume and we kind of thought, oh, we know who he is. And he is out there trying to get people to reimagine him. He's trying to get people to understand this is not the same thing. If you want to do that, boy, he is well on his way. But there is one more step before you get to the, to the final boss in that case. Now, that being said, BC, it takes us to topic number two, which is where we turn the tables here a little bit. Let's talk about Darren Till. And my question to you is the basic one. And we don't ask it pejoratively. We don't, we're not trying to be mean. But you go one and four in the UFC, especially when you're hyped as the next big thing out of the UK. We just have to ask, BC, and you can answer this however you want, is Darren Till overrated? Yeah, and apparently I was right, Luke. I was the old guy saying that for years when everyone said you're crazy or you're a hater. And then I come around on Till in this fight and say, no, I heard what I needed to hear. And to Darren Kill's credit, I, you know, I mean, he's always been a great quote, right? Whether it be talking trash or whatever. But I just really like the mental toughness he has shown in his interviews leading up to this fight. And when he says, you know, he's going to, no matter what, he's going to figure it out, I believe him. And I still believe, by the way, given his age and all things considered that he's only lost to elites, that there's obviously still time. We're not panicking to the level of, you know, is he going to lose his job? No. But he is in a, you know, Kelvin Gastelum-like situation where... It gets to a point where it doesn't matter the flashes that you've shown. Bill Parcells, ad nauseum, you are what your record says you are. Yes, Luke, Darren Till is overrated. And what I saw in the beginning is true. Um, there's a lot to like. And, like, you know, maybe you weren't worried in round three for Brunson. I felt like Till was one or two punches away from putting that away and figuring it out and going, okay, it'll walk through a little bit of hell, but that same guy who gave Robert Whitaker troubles and dropped him, that's the same guy here. And, Luke, he still is that same guy. But you got to get over that hump and win, and that's what he's not doing. So, Luke, you tend to know or, or fancy yourself uh, an expert in some of these areas more than me, technical camps, coaches, and all that. Um, I'm going to say yes to your question that Darren Till is showing us that he is overrated right now, but what should be the call to action? 
what should be the break glass panic in case of emergency? Because we are entering emergency times, again, not for his employment level, but for the idea of how seriously do we take him. Luke, there are elements of his game or of his demeanor which you can't argue are elite. How does he get everything else up to it, Luke? What the hell would you advise him to do if he watched enough dissected episodes and realized that real recognizes real? And he was looking at old Professor Salt and Pepper and saying, fix me, bro. Okay? Yeah. Take me as I am and fix me. Yeah. So here's what I would say. I mean, one, I don't fancy myself an expert. I would say I am literate about these matters, but expert, no. You believe that to the you know, Faraz hobbies and others of the world. But from my, from my vantage point, which is what you're asking, here's what I would say. If, if you look at his game and we were able to rewind it four or five years, I would really have almost nothing to say. I would say he's right on par. The basic problem is that his offense is simply not dynamic enough and he's got major gaps in his deficiency. What do I mean? If you look at his striking, now by the time, you're right, by the time the third round rolled around, I was like, okay, this is a lot better. Um, where he was teeping to the midsection, he was throwing leg kicks and exiting, and he was um, a little bit more pronounced about his jab. That was, I thought, perfect. He was looking good when he was doing that, and he was framing on clinch breaks, and he was, you know, he was just doing a lot of the, the right things. But here's one of the major problems offensively: it's just a lot of one twos. Now he's very, very good at it. His timing is good. He can cover distance very quickly. His left hand is sharp. It's powerful. But that's just really one weapon, or you could set it up a lot of different ways, but I'm pointing out, it's not like he, he's been using a lot of uppercuts with combinations. It's not like he uses a lot of combinations really at all. It's just sort of fake you out with the timing and then the fainting and then throw the left. There's really not a whole lot behind it, at least it wasn't until the third round, and even then it was simply too little too late. That's sort of one problem. But the major problem, and this was the one that I saw and I was like, oof, this just needs a lot of work. Dude, his... I'm not saying he doesn't have ground skills. Like, if you ask me, has he trained sprawling before? He's been training sprawling for a long time. So why did he get taken down the third after he stuffed the previous attempts by Derek Brunson? It is because instinctually, he just doesn't have that sprawl switch in his head when he needs to. When he is consciously thinking about getting his hips back and dropping them and the, 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 the various things that go into stuffing a takedown, Brunson couldn't take him down. That, that, was, that was great. But the minute he started getting a little bit loose and that muscle memory of just the years that come with mat time, Derek Brunson was able to run over him in that way. He was able to literally push through him and get behind his legs, and he didn't have that sprawling instinct at a moment when he needed to have it. Moreover, on the ground, BC, this was the, this was the worst part. He doesn't have two-way jiu-jitsu, right? So he, has, he was underhooking and framing with his arms underneath, and his legs were doing nothing. If you go back and you watch, dude, Derek Brunson, I couldn't believe this, but it was true. Derek Brunson let Darren Till have double underhooks underneath, which if you do that against someone who's got a deep half guard, let me tell you something, bad shit is about to happen to you. But he let him do that because A, it was easier to frame and then strike, and Darren was doing nothing with his legs. He was just holding. If someone has double underhooks and they're just holding, then what you're doing is you're just clinging like a koala bear. You're not entrapping someone, lifting their weight over you so you can do whatever you want, sweep or sub or whatever, you know, a leg entanglement, whatever you want. Dude, he just was hanging on. Man, you can't be in title fight or, you know, title fight eliminators or something like this. You can't be in top five fights at middleweight when you have double underhooks and you're just hanging on underneath. That is not enough of a sophisticated offense from your ground game 
to win at this level. It's just not, dude. And Derek Brunson yeah. was having his way with him as a consequence. So to, to round out the answer, dude, he needs work, man. Like, he needs lots and lots of work. Not so much with the striking. I think he's very adept. Bringing some of those things to bear easily, I think you could get that pretty quickly. He is obviously very gifted in that way. But the, but the wrestling defense and then underneath the game, look at Adesanya. What happens when Marvin Vittori gets on, there, on top of him? He is immediately looking for sweeps. He's immediately looking for uh, opportunities to create scrambles with submissions to disrupt the base. Dude, Derek Brunson was literally just sitting on one knee with one foot up and going to work because no one was challenging his base on top. It was a, it was a bad showing, if I can be honest with you, and I mean, that look, was he, a bit of a wake-up call for me. He took many backward steps on the ground that you just uh, you know illustrated. I mean, it was almost... You know, I hate to say this because anytime a non-fighter talks bad about fighters, you know, blah, 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 keyboard warriors, basement people, that's what I am, all that. But when... When, you know, Barber got exposed by Roxy, I was like, look, she showed remedial ground skills. Darren Till showed remedial ground skills. You make Derek Brunson not a, a great wrestler, but not a known... He's not Fedor in the ground and pound game. He made him look like a killer. So, Luke, it's tough. I, I have a couple questions. I have a couple, you know, Let me just Let me just thoughts. add one, BC, one small note to one thing you add. I, I don't want to cut you off. I just want to add... No, I'm not the guy to fix Darren Till. I don't know more than Darren Till. I can't fix Darren Till. I'm not that guy. But the problem is, if a guy like me can see those things, boy, you better believe his opponents can see it too. Yeah. I mean, I don't know his financial situation. A lot of times guys fight because they have to. I, I think this is one of those pause moments where you take an extended period of time, you reevaluate your entire thing, your coaching system, your, your the people around you, everything, because you say... I still have a window. I'm 28 years old. I have a big name. I'm a great talker. I've, I've shown you footage and evidence of being a very elite fighter in spots. But I got to figure this thing out. Luke, I thought it was most interesting at the start of this fight. Because when Darren Till's at his best, I think it's when he is striking from the outside and sort of controlling the terms. I mean, again, you know, maybe, maybe my eyes are too remedial to see, but I saw him against Robert Whitaker make Whitaker fight his game. Whitaker just happened to be great enough that he was able to edge him. But what I saw against Brunson was a different type of Till. Even though he had success in the opening minute and a half of the first round against Brunson, Till was pushing the pace. Now, the announced team, you know, was speculating, hey, maybe he's looking to crowd him to take away the threat of the takedown. But this was a more aggressive Darren Till that I wasn't sure if it was a smart game plan to go after it and leave no doubt and say, look, I'm turning my career around tonight and I'm going to take this fight. Or it was a little bit desperate. And either way, as soon as Brunson changed levels and set him up for the takedown, you know, he, he got it with ease. So, Luke, um, the panic move in a lot of these cases, let's use Kelvin Gastelum as an example, as people say, okay, well, the thing that's really going to fix him is to just go back down and wait. In Darren Till's case, he was a huge welterweight. Have you seen enough going one and two now as a middleweight to, add, to, to question within yourself, is this the right weight class for? I saw Michael Bisping say that. And obviously, whenever Michael Bisping has you know an opinion about what a competitor at this level could do to improve themselves, it would behoove all of us to listen. And listen, you could make an argument about Adesanya, right? He showed the grappling against Jan Blachowicz at 205. It wasn't... It was a little bit flat, and then he goes down against Marvin Vittori, and all of a sudden his game comes to life. Now, obviously part of that is improvement and everything else, but the reality is because the guys are smaller or at least more commensurate with his size, he's just much more of a dynamic force. Would Till get some of that? If he could make it down safely, and that's really the only consideration here, BC, because remember, you, I mean, to your point, dude, this thing about Till, he's 28. He's 28. 
I'm saying things about him today that are critical, but I want everybody watching to know this is not me writing off Darren Till. This is me saying Darren Till's got work to do, but the good story is he's got time to do it. Could he, by going back down to welterweight safely, and remember the last time he tried to make welterweight against Wonderboy Thompson, he went blind in the weight cut. That's a true thing that happened. Uh, if you can avoid that, do I think it would behoove him? Certainly. Certainly I do think that it would, BC. But I got to be honest with you, watching some of the stuff on the ground the way that I did, it's not sufficient for any weight class. That's just not enough. You got to have a much more dynamic force. If an opponent is allowing himself to be outgripped by you, essentially, to give you inside positional control because he knows you won't do anything with it, that's a problem, man. They don't do that in any other scenario, and they did it here, and that that's a red flag. I thought you were going to make a case that him, Kevin Lee, and Gastelum should be the face of the 165 division, Luke. I thought you were going to come out with that. <laughs> well, he can, so here's the thing. Till This is what I mean. I think Kevin Lee would be a fucking killer at 165, what about Till at 175? Right. I mean, obviously, See, I'm not saying Till is going to make 165, but you get the point of saying, you know, yeah. he's almost a tweener, Luke. And we don't see that with so many divisions these days where someone's a tweener outside of that gap between lightweight and welterweight. But he does seem like a tweener. So it's – I don't know, man. Yeah, you're right. Before we talk about other things, I, I do think he has some of those intangibles that I talked about, the mental toughness. The There's a lot, again, a lot. You know, the size at either weight. He's a big dude at either weight, but – you you got to dramatically change something, Luke. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be good theater he to see needs, him try. Uh, listen, the team he's with in the UK team Kaobon, I don't have anything but good things to say about them. I really don't. Maybe he's just better than all the guys in the gym, so that they can't push him in the way that they need to. I, again, I'm not the guy who knows how to fix Darren Till's problems. I'm only the guy who looks at tape and says, "What do I see?" And what I see is, at least in this fight, maybe he had an injury we didn't know about. That can often be a thing that comes out later but what I saw in this fight was a guy who just did not have the requisite skills in the position he was in to get up on his feet to defend himself to create threats and dude this is not the last time someone's going to find you in this position it's not okay to be at that level if you want to win at the highest level that's simply not satisfactory that, that that's just the reality and sometimes it's um, not the team like you just mentioned you know like you don't want to say anything bad about the team I don't either I'm just saying sometimes people need to change sometimes it, it's I mean, look, why did, why did Mike Perry succeed so much under Coach Latore, Luke? I say that as a joke, but you get my point here. People uh, switch trainers sometimes because it's just a different voice that they need or a different setup and system. Look, we're all different, Luke, right? We're, we all find our spouse for that one thing we're missing in ourselves that it fills in the blanks. Uh, I don't know if this is the right team. I don't know if that's the problem, but if he wanted to panic and switch – Maybe it's something in the communication and the motivation. Maybe, there, look, again, there's something missing there. I hope he finds it. I hope the man finds it, Luke, because even though I have historically thought he's overrated, I think he's great for the game. I love his personality. So let's see what happens. And if Derek Brunson provides any lesson, is that some guys take a little bit longer to get better. Sometimes they have to switch camps to do it. Again, I don't know if that's what Darren Tillian used to do. It's not my place to say. I have no idea. But he's 28, folks. You can be as critical as you want today, but you must reserve space for him to get better because there's, he's got plenty of time and obviously I think athletic ability to do it. All right, point number three, BC. We go to the guy who made the most amount of noise, so to speak, heading into this card. It was Patty Pimblett, a lightweight out of Liverpool as well. Now he got rocked a little bit against Vendramini, but then wins with an emphatic first round KO. All right, BC, very simple. Give me a grade for Patty Pimblett's UFC debut. 
I'm going to push it up to a B plus because I mean, look, he won the night from the standpoint of, of the interview and the look and the viral highlight. And I mean, when you can talk on that level, Luke, and you back it up with a dramatic win, like he did, you're going to win the night. I mean, look, this guy is the type of guy, whether you're a no, well, you know, like the, certainly polarizing, but it's the type of guy that I'll always say, and maybe it's my love of, of, of some of the pro wrestling juice that gets sprinkled on the real fight game. But, I mean, he's must-see, whether you want to see him succeed or see him fail. He's got that it factor. There's no question. Obviously, Luke, the bigger question is, so I give him a B-plus from the performance angle of it all, but is he of that ilk as a fighter? Luke, his defensive holes were gaping against a guy who up to this point is not a killer, and it looked like the train's going to fall off the tracks. And obviously, Patty's ability to make the adjustments and figure it out and then get a brutal finish. I mean, look, he had like eight unanswered punches after he landed the initial two right hands and the flying knee that seemed to rock Luigi. There's a lot to like in all of that. But Luke, I certainly have way more questions than I even have excitement about his future because if he doesn't make some drastic changes defensively, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna buy him some one-way tickets uh, <laughs> to, to the basement floor, Luke, the sub-basement floor. You know it. You know it, bro. And some guys thrive off that because people want to see it happen, so they tune in aggressively to see it, and he may be one of those guys because he seems to have that it. But, Luke, there's a lot more to be concerned about than love from my critical position after one fight. Yes, I'll give him a BB plus as well for the debut. And the reason why I won't give an A is because on the promotional side of things, I think about it went about as well as it could given the circumstances, which is there's not really much of a crowd. It was in the apex. You weren't in the UK. You were at home, you know, or our home, I should say. Um, so that was, you know, there's going to be some limits to him. I will say on the good side, I thought he came. I've seen his, you know, been paying attention to this guy as he's getting a little bit older. His physique tells me he was in incredible shape for this one. He really did a great job. Obviously, he hit all the right notes with the interviews and everything else. And, and then, you know, being able to, the way you described it, like, someone's going to put together a tweet about this. They're going to share it. What can you show them in that 30 seconds, 49 seconds that you're going to put together there? You know, the, the finishing off of Indramini is just, it's about, it's about perfect in that sense. The problem, as you indicated, was, of course, his defense. Folks, if you go back and look on the tape, and this is a great thing about Patty Pimblett, he's been fighting in Cage Warriors for a long time. All of those fights virtually are on Fight Pass. You can go and see them for yourself. Here's my one worry. That's not a new problem. Uh, that's an old problem that has just maintained. His, he is known for his ground game, as I mentioned previously. He's a ferocious back attacker. He's a great finisher from the back. That's really where he thrives. And obviously, you know, when he's got an opponent hurt, he's got incredible finishing instincts. There's mostly just really great things to say about him. But it wasn't just one punch that landed. He has gotten hit a lot in fights. And that head movement, being tall in the air like that, and not getting off the center line, not blocking, whatever, all the various things you might need to do given the circumstances, it's a it's a big problem. And I'm at the point now where like you can absolutely give him a mulligan in this one. Could be nerves, who knows? Things he's working on, but that is it, this is this, this is just the reality of that. Either that gets corrected quickly, or he pays for it quickly. Simple as that. <laughs> Choice is up to him. I don't get to make those calls. And I'm sure the UFC will find, you know, the right kind of matchmaking to bring him along. And as I indicated, he's got great experience from Cage Warriors, no doubt about it. But the time is right now to clean that up because if you don't, the, he's at 155. The amount of power punches at 155, they're going to knock your block off. If you don't clean that up, is endless. So great start, a lot to work on. 
Luke, even though he's from, you know, he's a scouser and, you know, and, and they don't get knocked out, as you said, um, do you, do, I haven't, you know, I don't have the, the vast experience watching his old fights. Does he have a ground game? Yeah. Because I mean, he's very good on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Cause there's going to be some of those obvious, you know, McGregor comparisons of a guy fr from that area of the world coming in. And he's almost had McGregor like quotes of I'm going to take over and look, he's great for the sport. Luke, when he says, put me in, you know, what, did he say Dublin or did he say whatever town he said in 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 Ireland or the UK? Put me there and put me in you know co-main event or main event and I'll sell out that arena and I'll show you. I mean I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be fantastic entertainment. I want to see it. He is great for the game, but uh, you know the good news I guess in this sport is losses can be non-disastrous like they are in boxing to a guy on the rise. But uh, I'm going to be very interested to see as you will how quickly he can adapt his defense to this level and how hard they're going to match make. Are they going to give him a softer run to milk the excitement and the, uh, the, and the potential for, for ticket sales and all that, or are they going to do the typical UFC thing and find out what they have pretty early in this as well? It's, it's going to be fun to watch either way. So that's why I, I ramped it up to a B plus because uh, there's something very, very special there. And I can't tell Luke if the fan in me loves or hates him. And that's what I kind of like about it. He's given me a little of both. You know, when somebody's that polarizing, the fan in you can instantly say, I'm either for that guy or I'm against that guy. I can't really figure it out yet. And I and it, it makes me want to see him again. So that's great to see. That's great for this division. Um, I thought Daniel Cormier nailed the comparison. He looks a hell of a lot like the the late, great Owen Hart, the former uh, WWF superstar. Um, this is going to be interesting, Luke. You say he's got a good ground game. That's going to help him. Um, he's, he's ferocious from the back. He's very, very good at not only just like once he gets there, uh, making an effective use of it, but he relentlessly attacks it. He's one of the few guys who like um, – you know, goes out of his way to search for the back. And he's and that, that's been a real strong suit of his. And he's good if, with ground and pound there, and he's good with submissions there. If you're a big shit talker and people want to see you pay for it, Luke, um, sometimes the thing that allows you to survive losses and even big ones is your ability to make fun fights. He seems like a guy who's going to make a fun fight against anyone and everyone. And I think that's hey, going to help him a lot. My daughter's home. Can you hear her? Oh Fine. yeah, it's oh yeah. Great. This is great. This is great. Uh, well, I was gonna say one last thing here before we move on to some other topics outside of this particular event. Um, I, I want to talk about anyone else on the card that may have impressed you. Now he's not. I don't think he's from. Well, he's from the UK, obviously. I don't know if he's from Liverpool, but to me, man, you know, all the attention was on Patty Pimblet, and I get it. You know, the guy's got a, a certain appeal, or as you pointed out, you know, polarizing appeal one way or the other. But to me, man, if you're asking me, like, who was the biggest standout from the UK on that card, or even like. When I think about top, you know, UK prospects slash contenders, the guys I've really got my eye on, it'll be Arnold Allen, who obviously did not fight on this card, and then it's going to be Tom Aspinall. Dude, Tom Aspinall, to me, was by far the best of all the Brits on this card, and it's not especially close. Tom Aspinall is the real deal. Now, he, for a couple of reasons. One, he takes his time, he sets things up, he's very fundamental. That finish on Spivak, where he went low and then went high, uh, on the clinch break, just good basics. But when you know you deliver on the basics, um, they 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 can just do so much for you. And then BC, the awareness, the honesty to recognize it is not weakness to say I am not ready for the top of the division. It is in fact a strength. It is a strength to know where you're at, but where you want to go and what it takes to get there. Because that means this guy, obviously, he's probably going to get fast track because he's just going to beat the shit out of most of these guys. So we'll see what happens. 
But to understand that you have work to do before you're really ready for your full potential, to know, by the way, that at, you know, at 38, you can still, he's obviously younger, but he was saying he's going to be competing until his mid to late 30s. At heavyweight, that is very reasonable. Dude, Tom Aspinall, to me, looks like the real deal Holyfield. That's the guy that I think the UK fight fans should be hanging their hat on. Yeah, there's a lot to love here. I did get a little nervous when, you're, when you said real deal twice, because that implies... Well, it can apply two things. It applies that that we've seen enough to know that that he that he is legit, or it just can apply obviously that he's showing qualities that tell you he's on the road there. Either way, four and zero in the UFC, seven wins in a row. That's saying a lot. The poise, the the way he's setting up these finishes, is saying a lot. But the reason why I question the real deal is we got to see him against somebody with a pulse, Luke. And that's no disrespect to the remaining husk of Andre Arlovsky and everybody else on the Sergey Spivak level that he's defeated up to this point. I mean, look, honestly, have you have you heard of some of the guys he defeated in the UFC to start off? You know what I mean? That's that's who you face when you start off. You face the Jake Colliers and the Alan Baudots. But Luke, we do have to see him at that next level, and obviously, he wants to take it you know, a slow, responsible path to get there. And uh, there's a lot to like, but I can't get too excited, Luke, until we get to it to a next level because... That's fine. I mean, he's got some work to do. Luke, you should do that against this level, right? Yeah, that's fine. He's got some work to do in terms of proving who he can beat. But, you know, it wasn't like he and Spivak went the distance. He made short work of them, and it was one-sided, if you know, somewhat slow the entire time. Um Arnold Allen to me is more proven as a top contender, or you know, you know, on his way kind of contender than than uh, Aspinall. Aspinall's got in your in your obviously your estimation a little bit of a more of a hill to climb. Fine, but just on what he's showing, the the poise, the smoothness, the understanding of space and time and position, it's it looks formidable. We'll see. Anybody right, else? Look, I, I got to ask you something from this card. People would kill us if we didn't bring this up. Unfortunately, my Lithuanian brethren, Modestus Bukowskis. Dropped his third straight, and who knows what his future brings, Luke. Obviously, now that he's got this bum leg. Khalil Roundtree Jr. needed a big win. He got a big win. He got it by Vicious KO after he wrecked uh, the uh, Bukowskis' nose early. But, Luke, the way in which he delivered that TKO leg strike via sideways kick to the side of the knee, you're going to get a lot of people questioning where we're at, Luke, from a rule standpoint from a morality standpoint one of those people by the way is not Bukowski so you got to give him his respect he did put out on Instagram like hey guys no disrespect to my opponent do not be sending him disrespect he won this fight fair and square it's up to me defensively to see that coming and block it Luke where do you stand because you could make a strong case that we're at a point in modern MMA where hey man are we really should we be outlawing 12-6 elbows should we even be outlawing soccer kicks or strikes to a downed opponent I mean there's a debate either way on all of these topics where do you stand on the debate that kicks like that should be a legal or not legal and b a gentleman's agreement not to do them I know John Jones has a history of doing those but you could wreck a man's career for a couple of years with kicks like that, Luke. A lot of people talking about this. You didn't put it on the rundown. What are you hiding, Luke? Uh, not much. I don't. I don't. Listen. If there was a UFC players association, some kind of union, and they worked together with the UFC to say, "Listen, the fighters are just not comfortable with this rule," because I do see a lot of fighters speak out about it, or at least you know they seem uncomfortable about it one way or the other then I would be like, fine. Like, that's just something that they all got together, decided they weren't comfortable with. And, you know, a little less violence in the octagon probably is not really going to hurt the product. And, you know, might save a knee here or a knee there. So it, it would be what it would be. Um, but I never seem to understand exactly what the argument is, right? Because 
if they're trying to make a claim that this particular strike is so dangerous and in such wide use that it's causing at scale enough problems with fighters' knees that we need to address it, then where's the evidence? Because that's never been presented. There is none, actually, that would tell you that. So then they might say, well, we want to get rid of it on principle. But why would you want to get rid of something in principle, right? Because the idea would be just to injure, not to do anything else. But if you want to get rid of something in principle, why would you do it if there is no evidence in the real world to suggest that it's all that dangerous relative to some of the other dangers you might face in the octagon? Yes, it can be different in principle about what it is doing versus others, but the material end ends up being something rather insignificant, in which case there would be no reason to have the principle to begin with. So I never really understand exactly what the case against it is supposed to be. Okay. Um, I just feel like, and, and I get your point, and you, well, it is it is consistent with you, Luke. Show me the proof, conspiracy head. Show me the receipt. It's a very a, easy rule. We want to do the things science. in this world. Okay, Jose, but it's very easy for anything you want to do. Hey, we want to do this. Okay, do you have a good reason to do it? What is the good reason to do it? I, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to hear it. Because there's certain injuries that can, that can take away a man's career and livelihood and ability to make money and i don't know that this is that one again to your point we do have to see a long track record of it and you could just as easily argue that any knockout could take chunks off of your career any snapped and broken arm any anything in this absolutely brutal sport is not good for your body or your mind or your brain or your soul luke okay we established that up front this just looks like an absolutely devastating freaking strike, Luke, that can that can really set somebody back. And I don't feel good about it, Luke. Do I have an argument to support that that would win a debate? No. But I, there's a feeling inside of me that and it does nothing to do with Lithuania. I just don't feel good about that kind of finish, Luke. Yeah, I understand that. I think a lot of people look at it and they're like, mm, "Is this are we okay with this?" And I, I understand the questioning. Uh, and again, I'm not like I'm not so wedded to the idea that like wow we this is we need to keep the strike. If, if there's you know if, 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 again if a, if a majority of fighters dislike it, who am I to say they should keep it? Rather, all I want people to do is to say, okay, what is the actual impact of this thing at scale in the UFC? What has the oblique kick done to fighters relative to um, other ways fighters receive injuries and in fights. And I think what you'll find is that it is barely noticeable on the list. Um, and so for that reason, I tend to think it's ugly to look at, but overhyped as a threat. Like hurricanes uh, that exist in the, that never touch landfall, they're formidable. But if they don't touch landfall, I'm not exactly sure why I should worry about them too much. So, so should we, should we legalize at. titty twisters, Luke? I mean, you know, it's just cosmetic, you right? Could, well, if people always ask about this. What about pinching and then, like, you know, uh, tickling? Why don't folks yeah. use those? Because they don't work. That's I mean, what why. about they, a reach-around, They don't around, actually Luke? work against high-level fighters. <laughs> where, where do you draw the line, Luke? Can I, can I cup the ball sack? I mean, what, where's the line here, Luke? I know I you've can't... been dying. Listen, I know you've been dying to cup my ball sack, but you may not. You I mean, you that? can't. you can't did play with somebody's digits and break a toe on purpose or a finger i just yes that's you know, against the rules yes if the but but let me ask you this then let's say people what fighters watch that and go oh crap i never thought about doing that and if roundtree's okay with it and if bukowskis is okay with it and if luke freaking thomas is okay with it then let's make it the new calf strike and then how many fighters do we have to see be out of action for a year because of it that the conversation would go to the next level that we would consider outlawing or 
a lot of fighters try it and realize that they're not all that good at it. I mean, he timed it well off the jab, right? That's how he got it. He got Bukowski's committing to it and then timed the in-between, and that's how he got it. That was really nicely done. I mean, I see people try it all the time. They're just not all that great at it. Again, dude, I'm not immune to the evidence. If the evidence become, if, if it gets popular and we start seeing knees get shredded in a way where it becomes alarming, yeah, then fucking we can have this conversation. Again, I, it's not that I love this strike and I'm married to it. I'm just saying... If we're going to outlaw something, we should probably have a good reason and procedure to do that. And something that looks bad but may not be ultimately that harmful, I tend to think that's not where we should be focusing our, our energies, personally. Luke, can you, can you punch to the Adam's apple without, like, how come that's not a thing? You know, I don't think you can do throat attacks like that, nor can you attack the clavicle and some other things as well. So some things yeah. are... Like, like, for example, like, why don't we allow eye gou gouging? Well, fuck, man. If your eyes are coming out or being permanently damaged in fights, you can't do this for very long. It becomes a really, you know, insanely dangerous thing. Um, if can you if literally your kick goes that direction, we can get rid of it. Can you literally kick a guy's ass, or is there rules against getting too close to the anus or uh, grundle track? Is there like, I mean, it's Luke. Where are we? Where is the show gone? I think where we should we? move to the next topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, speaking of which, let's do that next. So BC's all over the story. I'm of mild interest in it, but he likes it. It is it is fairly interesting. Oh, which is stop that, with that. Stop on. with that precursor. Hold on. Hold on. I didn't NCAA want this the NCAA wrestling champion slash brand new Olympic gold medalist plus athlete. I mean, what do you want to say? The best. Gable Steveson, the American. We've been seeing him at Bellator shows. We've been seeing him. At UFC shows, we've been seeing him tweet Dana White and everybody else. But in the end, it's not what he went to. What he went to was WWE. Dave Meltzer reported it as, along with many other folks as well. BC, you believe this to be a big story for a lot of different reasons. Tell me why. Yeah, obviously it's a big story because, uh, look, someone being a dominant you know, amateur wrestler and winning a gold medal and then deciding which way they're going to go is big when, when you've got this level size and personality. But let's not forget that he just won the gold medal with one second left in a fight that he was losing in patient fashion to dominantly do it. I mean, like, it's just there's so many next level parts of who this guy is, his ability to trash talk, his confidence. And Luke, how, I mean, you we got to, why do I want this on the rundown? For a few reasons, but one, to just stand and applaud. Have you ever seen somebody dominate a negotiation period like Gable Stevenson just uh, just did knew that he would have two different sports competing against one another to bring him in not to mention the different entities and promotions within each sport and then do what you just said show up at everybody's show take pictures in the back with everybody and then tweet at everybody tweeting at Vince McMahon a month ago and waving tweeting at him the other day just tweeting out like sign the deal you know, put the put the pen to paper sign the deal i mean this guy from the beginning was calling the shots luke and i think what was interesting was the debate that started to be had in the midst of this season when people were wondering where is he going to go the whole idea was this you can do pro wrestling for longer and forever right because it's fake it's demanding on your body but obviously it's fake but do you want to put off mixed martial arts? Meaning if you have a window and a lot of people think physically he has the tools to one day be a dominant heavyweight mixed martial artist on the super elite level, you could argue, Luke, it might be better to do that now, to get into the sport now while you're young and put in those years now knowing 
whether you were great or not, you could wrestle forever. What I thought was interesting, Luke, was that this man looked at the landscape, and I think he came to the terms of realizing I can get a lot more money now in pro wrestling, and that doesn't eliminate the ability to one day trans, you know, s- slide over into MMA. But I think what he has set it himself up by making this decision is that when he does slide over, he'll already be an even bigger star at that point. He's not going to be, it turns out, Luke, he's not going to be one of the guys who's just going to go sign with PFL or Bellator or even UFC and, you know, go dark for two years and learn every aspect about the game. When he does eventually cross over to MMA, it's going to be on a major platform and it's going to be for big time money. But the decision he made, and without knowing details on it, and I don't, I think it's fair to look at the pro wrestling landscape right now. And Luke, I think it was unfair for both you as a pro wrestling hater and the whole pro wrestling hater fans of this show to be like, oh, remember that time BC held the show on top of his shoulders, but then he completely hijacked it and did a half hour on pro wrestling. I didn't just do it to just, you know, art and, and, and you know, and, and haul off into the screen because I had the moment. Because this is a pivotal time in pro wrestling's history. Really cemented by what happened over this weekend with AEW All Out. And Luke, no, don't worry. Listeners, don't worry. I'm not going to come at you with 25 minutes about how huge it was that Punk debuted and Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan made surprise crossovers and now the business is on fire and we could be headed through the third boom period. I'm not going to talk about that. But what is happening in this period is Vince McMahon is doubling down now more than ever on the idea of all you little indie guys that I can't understand – Go to AEW and do your thing. I don't care about you. I'm Vince McMahon. I like big boys who can move and sell like Brock Lesnar. So I think Gable realized that the most amount of money he could have was showing Vince McMahon how many options he does have in the other areas and potentially driving up that price. Because whether you're a a close follower of pro wrestling or not, Brock Lesnar has raked Vince over the coals for ridiculous money in recent years, constantly using the UFC as leverage and working his schedule down to the smallest amount of part-time dates for stupid, monstrous money. Gable has the potential to be Vince's next Brock Lesnar, and that's why I think Vince was probably willing to break the bank. WWE has more money now than ever due to how successful their network and licensing deals have been. So this was a major decision in the end, Luke, because if he came in, if he chose MMA, it's going to be must-see TV for this guy. I think he'll eventually get to MMA, but right now as pro wrestling is as red hot as it has been in 30 years, um, 25 years, this was a big move. And he and he's going to a, a place, WWE, where they love the big boys, especially the cocky ones that can sell and they're crazy athletes. So Luke, this is huge. Do you have a care level whether this man because you you respect amateur wrestling, you certainly respect the dominance he has shown, whether he does end up getting into an MMA cage before it's quote unquote too late. Heavyweights age later than others, but if you looked sure. at him, are are you lamenting at all him going this direction into an I, area I think, that you don't I think I think he made the right call, to be honest with you. Again, I'm not going to watch a thing he does over there, but I'll say this, dude. I mean, just think about what Jake Paul is doing, right? So let's say things work out really well for Gable Steveson over in WWE in whatever way he goes. And let's say he eventually tries to make the move to W, excuse me, to UFC or, you know, whatever the situation is at that time, whatever, a, a good place that wants to pay him a lot of money. He's going to do the Jake Paul thing where even in his early fights, I don't know if he'll be selling a million pay per views or not. We'll have to see how things go, but like, you can fight someone commensurate with your uh, experience level in that endeavor, MMA, and get paid a shit ton of money for it, or certainly at a bare minimum, much more than you would ever get paid right now. Like, why not? And if you even if you don't go far, like, look at all of Brock's purses from MMA. Maybe not the K1 one, probably that one too, but certainly from UFC. 
probably none of them are small, even by today's effing standards. He probably got huge amounts of money all the way through, and he obviously accomplished a lot by winning the title. But I just mean, dude, Gable Stevenson can go to WWE, make a ton of money up front, build his name to the point that when he wants to go to UFC, you, people don't remember this because obviously fans are from a newer generation, but like it used to be pretty clear that if you were signed through the UFC like a grassroots way, you, were, you might make money, but it was harder. But if you got acquired from one of the other orgs out there where the fans were hot on you, you got a lot more money. Here's a case where he can build his name where the fans might be hot on you in a much more pronounced way, then come over here. Yeah, dude, he absolutely made the right call. It sucks for us in MMA, but this is what happens when an industry doesn't have a whole lot of protections. The job is hard, and uh, yeah, you can you can just do a lot right by yourself by going the direction that he did. Yeah. And, and he I earned look, it. And I'm not going to bore you by talking pro wrestling, but I did. I mean, look, I'm not exaggerating. I've gotten like... 75 different DMs of, man, BC, if you could only get it, Luke into wrestling right now and see, taste, and feel what AEW's doing, maybe you could win them over. But, Luke, I tell them the same thing every time. It's not going to work, so give up the fight. Luke, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in this fight. You didn't grow up with this, right, Luke? You didn't grow up getting injected no. with this sickness where, the, where you, you're not a grown man who could cry after a pro wrestling storyline made good and full circle. So if you've never been injected with it, it ain't going to happen now in your state, Luke. Okay. Every, every kid in the eighties was a Hulk Hogan fan. I mean, he was everywhere. So did I watch in the era of uh, Hulk Hogan and ultimate warrior when they're airing on TV after Sunday or Saturday morning cartoons? Absolutely. I did. But then, you know, I hit puberty and I was like, wow, this is, this is for nubbers and I'm not one of them. So. There you go. Well, to, 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 to be honest with you, I also hit that point in, in 1990, sixth grade. I was just sort of like, you know what? Pro wrestling's lame. WWF is all commercial, comical, cartoon bullshit. But, Luke, the fact that you never came back in in the late 90s with the NWO and WCW and all that, it's mind-boggling to me. Georgia. It's mind-boggling to me that, that you didn't, to be honest. And because you didn't, you'll never come back in this era either. And by the way, I respect that. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not forcing it. I'm not trying to inject unnecessarily pro wrestling into the show unless I create some kind of spin-off thing, but um respect to Gable. He's going to he's going to make that money player and uh I think it was a smart move all things considered. All right. And then last but certainly, BC, not least, we have got to get to this, which just pains me to yeah. even talk about, but here we are. Uh okay. So this Saturday was supposed to be Triller's return to boxing with Oscar De La Hoya coming back long out of retirement after Manny Pacquiao walloped him to take on Vitor Belfort, uh, who has, of course, you know, uh, been sort of outside, in the look, uh, outside looking in in terms of the world of combat sports. Except Oscar De La Hoya got COVID, and so they had to find a substitute, which was Evander Holyfield. Now, here's the story for folks who may not know. Evander Holyfield was promised to fight previously on Triller, didn't get it, and was basically threatening or even put in the papers to sue them. Uh, I, I don't know, we're going to ask BC here in just a second, if that's why they gave him this contest, but here was the problem. De La Hoya versus Belfour was supposed to be at the Staples Center in LA. Obviously, a guy like De La Hoya can draw there. Now, you could say that they moved this fight to Florida, which they did, because obviously without De La Hoya, they're never going to fill out the Staples Center. You could also make the argument and probably this one's correct, there is no fucking way that the California Commission is going to sanction a pro contest with a 58-year-old Evander Holyfield, who, by the way, even on training footage, has looked bad 
against Belfort, who, you know, obviously that doesn't have a ton of boxing ability and is long in the tooth, but has, I think it's fair to bring up, a long history with PED use and everything else in between. BC, what the fuck is this? Yeah, this is gross. This is what it is. It's gross. And I get a lot of people saying, BC, isn't this like, isn't this your shit, right? I'm the guy, Luke, for 10 years as a national, what am I, a pundit, an idiot, have been saying hashtag old guy fights, right? Because that's my shit. I love it. I love the slop. Well, first of all, again, let me reiterate that gas stations are the silent killer, so keep your livers in check. But also, Luke, there has to be a line. There has to be a limit. And for me, this was the limit. Not just because Holyfield is 58. In some ways, Luke, that's that's almost like the third or fourth worst part of this. You asked me, does this have anything to do with the lawsuit? Well, I don't have proof of that. I wasn't on the phone with Triller's Ryan Kavanaugh getting, you know, a confirmation. How could it not, Luke? Right? Holyfield right. signed with Triller with the language saying he's essentially signing with them to have a third fight with, with Mike Tyson. And the problem with Mike Tyson's comeback against Roy Jones going so well, meaning nobody got hurt, Mike looked great, and a lot of people were into it, and a lot of people actually exited that fight happy because it was a special situation with Mike Tyson kind of going through another season of turning his life around and redeeming the past and all that. Unfortunately, when that stuff happens, you'll get the copycats, and unfortunately, Mike inspired a lot of old guys to come back. There's a difference in my mind when 47-year-old Oscar De La Hoya wants to come back for one more and when 58-year-old Evander Holyfield does. So, Luke, the combination of this looks like a make-good-to-make-a-lawsuit go away, even though the Oscar COVID stuff is real and they did need an opponent to sort of save this card. Although you could argue with a co-main strong enough of Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz and all the music acts, did it really need to be saved? I don't know. But you add that, and you add the obvious commission shopping that was done here. In fact, I don't even think the trailer people hid that in the quotes because Ryan Kavanaugh was quoted by every outlet of saying, if California won't approve it, we will most likely move it to Florida, which they did. So, Luke, it's gross as shit. So you, what, you're going to ask yourself, well, BC, would you have been okay if Holyfield, who was scheduled to fight Kevin McBride, right, when the Tyson thing fell through because Tyson has his own issues with Triller that led to Triller suing Tyson, saying that he has one fight left. So, you know, Holyfield was going to box McBride, who's old and slow and all that. Well, the difference is that's a fight Holyfield was going to win, but nobody cared. I didn't want to see that fight. It was gross to begin with anyway. Now we're going to put him in there against a guy in Vitor Belfort who's a lot closer to being active and dangerous he's only 44 and luke you know i'm not saying things out loud so i can get sued but this guy looks like he's freaking what word do you want to say that won't get you sued luke about what vitor belfort looks like in the pictures right now it looks like 2013 vitor belfort okay rejuvenated I don't care that you could say well hey holyfield was still an active boxer into his late 40s He's going to have all this boxing advantage over B- Vitor. No, he won't, bro. Because once it gets really gross, it gets really gross. And Belfort's in that category of the really gross category. I'm sorry, Holyfield is in that category of the same really gross category that Chuck Liddell was when he came back for that third Tito fight. Where I just don't want to see it. There's nothing good that can become of it. And in fact, there's a chance that something bad can become of it. We do not need 58-year-old Holyfield having a chance of getting hurt or knocked out or whatever. And when you add in Vitor's history and you add in all the other gross elements there, this is a gross fight that I'm not looking forward to that I would, I'm would i almost hoping falls apart, Luke. There's nothing good I can say about this. 
There, there's uh, not even a good like, hey man, maybe it could be cool and competitive. Get that shit away from me, seriously. How how uh, do we know for a fact that Florida has approved this? I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure where we're at on this, Luke, but as yeah. far as I know, this fight's happening and it's going to happen in Florida. Does Florida have a history of, of not approving things, Luke? I mean, what are we what are we doing here? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is. I mean, listen. The last time I think I could be wrong about this, but I think the last time Holyfield was in the ring, he was boxing Mitt fucking Romney. You well, know that was what, what, that was a comical exhibition. But Luke, the I last understand. time, hold on, let me just tell you quick. The last time he was actually in the ring was 16 years ago when the New York State Athletic Commission, after the fight, said we will no longer give you, we will no longer sanction you for fights because you have. You know, you're whatever the term was. You know, you're no longer a safety Decline, to yourself yeah. in the ring. Yeah, and also, I mean, you can just hear him in a speech has slurred. I mean, this is yeah. unethical. It's unethical. Like you cannot be doing something like this. And I don't know what's going to happen. And by the way, you know, listen, I, I lived through Tim Sylvia fighting um, Ray Mercer, and then Ray Mercer knocked him the fuck out. So, like, you know, certainly in combat sports, we have to reserve space for anything being possible, which is why fans tend to tune in on it. But, dude, you got Holyfield who's had a long documented history of financial trouble, selling all of his memorabilia. He's got documented issues with health. Uh, he's 58. The guy's nearly 60. You couldn't probably, we'll see. I don't know what the exact truth is, but you moved it from a place where there was going to be a strict commission to a place where there's going to be, you know, just guys fucking making airplanes out of paper in their air, in their offices in terms of the commission. Uh, this is, this, th there's a, it's not just that it's gross to make money off this or try to. This is fucking dangerous. This is a potentially dangerous. And uh, if, you know, people can spend their money how they want, but I would strongly caution them to think twice about what I mean, this Luke, might mean to purchase something like this. Do you know what nobody was talking about? That Belfort de La Hoya was potentially dangerous. I know Oscar's a lot closer to being closer to his prime, but Oscar was still 13 years removed, moving up considerably in weight again against a guy who's starting to look a lot like 2013 Mohawk Vitor in pictures. That fight was getting sneaky, dangerous, interesting. Now that fight's off. No, nobody wants this. We don't want. I mean, look. Would you have been able to be talked into Holyfield Tyson three if it was an exhibition handled the same way that the Roy Jones fight was? Maybe you would have, but you would have had misgivings. Yes, maybe I could. Again, as an exhibition where they can change rules and timing and stuff, I'm more or less okay with it. But when you they wanted this on a pro contest, like what? What are we doing here? Florida's gross. It's a gross place. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Florida. I apologize. Luke, what is uh, your uh, – hold on. Since it's fight week, what is your Anderson Silva, uh, Tito Ortiz care level from one to, um, one to ten right now? Negative uh, five billion. All right. There you go. There you go. Have it. Saturday night. Be there. Yeah. It'd be, be nice if Anderson Silva won, and that's the most I can say about it. You know, he seems to be having a great moment after his UFC run. He deserved it. Tito, by the way, had a great run after his UFC moments as well. You know, that win over Chael Sonnen was kind of big for him, like, and good for him. He made some money with it. Like, it's not even about that. It's just, like, 
what are we doing at this point? But, okay, what okay. if they they didn't they wouldn't have done this, but what if they had paid Tito to step aside and we saw Anderson versus Vitor a boxing match? Would you've been into that? Yeah, I'd be all I'd be all into that as a matter of fact. Okay. Yes, okay. I'd be very much into that. That to me is actually kind of fun and silly, but eh, you know, I I could get into and you know, as a replacement, would I get into Tito versus Evander? Tito's hands are so bad that I could be like, that's gross as shit, but it's probably a lot better Dude, than, than Vitor. If Tito knocked out Chuck Liddell the way he did, and then afterwards, you know, viciously KO'd Evander, I would be really sad. <laughs> I think I think a lot of fans would be like, gee, this guy's just... It, dude, we would put him... We couldn't talk about him on the five-part rundown. We have to put him on, have you seen this shit? Because it'd be elder abuse. I mean, what are we doing at that yeah, point? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point, yeah. All right. With that in mind, we're one step closer. But first, BC and I are not going to ask each other questions. It's time for you to ask us questions. It's time for DMs for Dogs. We've got mail. As you know, every, uh, well, the day before the show, on the Monday show, in this case, the Tuesday show, normally it's on Monday. So every Sunday, typically, we put up an Instagram post. You can find us at Morning Combat on Instagram, and we ask you guys what you guys want to know, and then uh, you ask us questions. All right, I don't even know if I have them or not. Uh, I think I do, yes. All right, here we go. From at Case for Days, who will eventually get cut first by UFC, Till or Gastelum? Oh, that's a terrible question. Wow. Uh, both, Luke, you would agree that both have, quote unquote, money in the bank as company men. Would you agree with that? For sure. Gastelum makes better fights. True or false? True. Much better. But Till's a better talker and more marketable. True or false? By the way, people are writing me saying Till apparently told Michael Bisping he tore his ACL 10 weeks before the fight, and to what extent that might have affected his performance. Um, yeah. Keep yeah. that in mind. Okay, okay. Till's the bigger brand, right, Luke? For sure. At this point. Well, yeah. Yeah, he's the bigger brand. And also, he is regionally important, right? He's very, very important True. for a particularly important market. Yeah, it's going to be Gastelum. He, and I think Gastelum has more bad tape. Until has up to this point. Ah, oh, you could argue both. You could argue it's even. You could argue it's even, Luke. It's tough. It's tough to say. Um, all yeah, right. Guess from, would get cut first. We both know it. Okay. I think so. I think so. From at Tyson underscore calm. Did Patty the Batty deliver the most exciting UFC debut ever? No. Is no, it in the conversation? Not that's though? not even. That's not even a pimple on the ass of what Anderson Silva did. Yeah, well, certainly Anderson's the go-to. Who else are we missing in this conversation? Ronda Rousey, yes, right. Ronda Rousey had a good one. Uh, hers was fucking thrilling, and it was oh, a main event. Brock uh, in McGregor. Brock in defeat. Brock Lesnar. Brock in defeat. McGregor was a big one. Um, Saint Pierre's was not a big one. Obviously, I think it was either against Caro or Jay Huron. Either way, it wasn't that big. Um, who else had a big one? Uh, you BC could maybe had a argue one, but, Vitor but Belfort. But that's another you could, conversation. You could kind of, you could kind of argue Vitor Belfort. It was a different era, um, but it was big. Um, yeah, that's but fair. no, but no. I mean, he, listen, he had a he had a very strong UFC debut, no doubt about it. But the most exciting ever? No, dude, I was there. I watched it when Silva beat Lieben, and that was a. Oh, you were in holy. the building. No, 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 no. I was covering it live. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah. uh, I remember exactly where I was at the moment. I remember looking at my TV being like, what the fuck did I just watch? That was incredible. Um, so, no, it's not quite on that level. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's keep it moving. From at, uh, yeah, from at Michael Curson, 
What are your thoughts? Well, we kind of went over this. What are your thoughts on the sidekick Khalil Roundtree landed on Bukowskis? Should that kick be banned? You want to go over it one more time, or you want to just no? Like- I, I wish I would have known. I probably should. Was am I allowed to see these in advance? I'm not even sure what the morality laws are in morning combat rundowns, Luke. Yeah, you should be able to. He normally they normally send them just to me, but for that purpose, I think you should see him too. I wouldn't have brought it up then, but we have already answered that. Maybe we, can we call this guy on the phone and see if he has another question, Luke? E- yes, he's asking, "What are you going to wear to the dying fetus show in yeah. November?" Luke, right. people are tweeting at me in the moment saying that you attending an AEW card is the equivalent of me going to Dying Fetus. Not, not exactly. It depends. Here's why. We can go to Dying Fetus for a very small amount of money, and they're in your hometown, and it's easy to be right up front or pretty close to it, wherever we want to go. I'm not going to an AEW show where I'm in the fucking bleeders where people are sneaking in booze and there's fistfights over, you know, chicken fingers. I'm not doing that. Next Wednesday, right? You and I might, we might be in the same city together, right? Next Wednesday, we might. It's it's possible. That night, I have third row AEW tickets with two CBS sports employees. Right. Well, here's the problem. It's my wedding anniversary. There's no chance I'm going with you in in Newark. That I mean, not that not that we have an extra ticket for you, but that would be the ultimate. Luke, who, get a taste of this third row. That would be the ultimate. With, as my daughter cries insanely loudly. Uh, shout, shout out to uh, Robbie Snyder and and Jamie Maz from CBS Sports. Uh, it, but uh, that that would that would have been wild, Luke. But it is your anniversary. I can't, I can't do that to you, Luke. I can't do that. Dude, I tell them every day if the baby's crying loudly, take her outside, and they just don't. They just don't. They just. Look, at what megaphone. point can we stop talking, calling her the baby? She's like three, right? Nah, she's two. Yeah, you're right. She's two and a half. I just do it for shorthand, but yeah, the okay. kid. All right. Or the child. Oh, Look, the kid asking, is all. Asking the for kid's me. a little disrespectful, Luke. It's your own child, okay? I know. It's crazy. All right, from Pentameter 9. So sad to learn of Michael K. Williams passing. Favorite MKW role other than Omar? That's a great question. That is a great question. So this is. IMDb. Luke, this was uh, I, I tend to make fun of this culture that we have where where when a celebrity dies, people are just like, I mean, they are heartbroken and they put out seven different Facebook posts. And I'm like, man, you didn't know David Bowie from Adam. Stop being all that emotional. You can still listen to his music. But I will say this was one that got through when when I read that, Luke, and I texted you. I was just like, damn, mother, mother no. Right. It's like yeah. when when Stevie Ray Vaughan died in 1989, I remember my dad walked out of the room and he goes, not Stevie, motherfucker. And I was just like, whoa, dad, whoa. But now I get it, Luke. Not, not, not Omar, bro. No. Dude, that one's a bad one. Um, Boardwalk Empire, he was kind of big in, obviously. I haven't seen um, any other role. So, so I'm very heavy on loving this man from Omar and nothing else, Luke. So I should probably revisit his entire catalog now. Yeah, he was in 12 Years a Slave as well. He did a bit on Christmas Addicts. Um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which, by the way, terrible show. Overrated as a motherfucker, that thing is. Um, his IMDb is just too long to read. It's everything. Everything is in here. It's amazing what he's done. Luke, when Gone you Baby look Gone, at... He was in. When you look at the five seasons of The Wire, is it is there a strong argument to make that he was the MVP of the show? Because that's what that's arguably the you know no worse than the second or third best TV show of all time. No worse than. 
What is what is um, what's your favorite season of The Wire? I'm gonna say well, season two. Okay, uh, notice how Luke, you just completely ignored my question. I did, just, I did, but I, I flipped I mean, it back because what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? No, like, no, no, just but, but, dude, I did a whole bit on how Patty Pimblett was good on the ground, and your first question was, "Is he good on the ground?" You don't listen either, motherfucker. I just don't call you on it all the time. So, I mean, what a what a what an absolute what a just. Uh, okay, you don't listen so, either. I just I just let it go. I don't hold grudges about it. Favorite season of The Wire? Well, okay. There's a great debate, and I've got a lot of time if you're willing to go down there. Uh, everyone's got it wrong, okay? And everyone says season four with the school kids and all that is the greatest season in TV history. Jim Lampley used to go nuts on that. It's a great season. It's also just a little bit massively overrated, Luke. So season three would not be an incorrect answer as the greatest because the dynamic between Avon and Stringer is amazing. But the real answer of this, Luke... I'm sorry, folks. Rewatch it for yourselves. You heard wrong. Season two on the docks is the greatest season of the damn wire. It is. Oh, BC, because you're a white guy, you said that. No, it's just really freaking good, okay? I love me some season two. What's the guy's name? What's Ziggy's uncle? Frank Sabaka? Come on, my man Bogo, you know about Frank Sabaka. Luke, that season two is the best season, and I'll fight you over it, all right? Yeah, also, I agree with you, first of all. And also, your part about, like, oh, everyone mourns celebrities they don't know. It's it's true that there is a bit of, like, melodramatic nonsense to it all. But, you know, when the guy was open about addiction issues and then he dies from an overdose after doing it's such great art, it's just awful. It's just awful. So... Uh, it's terrible. And if you've not seen The Wire, I don't know what you're waiting for. So is Go he the MVP watch. of the show, Luke? Because I think Stringer Bell was. I I Idris Elba, I think he was the MVP of the show. Are you a Omar was the best? No, I'm with you. Stringer Bell. I Idris Elba is just a, is just an unbelievable actor. I mean, yeah. Michael K. Williams was too, but yeah. And that, that, that character, I don't know if the character was as interesting, but he made it as interesting as it could have been relative to Omar. So I can't believe you agree with me on season two, Luke. That just that's allowing me to forget your your you know uh, saying that I don't listen to you, which could not be further from the truth, Patty Pimblet, notwithstanding, Luke. But uh, wow, I didn't know we had that in common. Like we could have been hanging out. It's for also years, one Luke. of my favorite bars from uh, Reup Gang, which is half clips, half these other guys, and uh, the 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 bar is we're the Wire season two bitches back to the docks. It's just one of my favorites. So yeah. And hey, how about, okay, do you remember, real quick, you remember the crazy, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? What, what's, a, what's the crazy Sabaka kid? Uh, not Lenny, what the hell is his name? Iggy, Ziggy, Ziggy. Ziggy. Yeah, but Ziggy. How about Ziggy's cousin, Nick? How about his girlfriend, do you remember? I don't, it's been a while she's, since I've seen Okay, she's she the is... real, she's the real MVP of that show, Luke. Okay, that's okay. all I got to say about that. Duly noted. All right, last but certainly not least. From Danny underscore Bridgewater, in light of ABBA dropping new tracks for the first time in 40 years, if you could bring back a band slash solo artist that has broken up or just stopped making music, who would you choose? Uh, this will be a little bit of a deep cut, Luke, but okay, back when I was single and had disposable income, we used to say like, you know, if this band came back, because back then, when before David Lee Roth had reunited with Van Halen, my friends and I would always be like, What's the distance you'd drive for that? Like, if they announced that tomorrow and the first concert was, you know, 16 hours away, would you get in the car and just drop everything, you know? It's a bit of a deep cut. And by the way, they ended up reuniting, and it was what it was. Um, it's a bit of a deep cut, but I think Whiskey Town, the former Ryan Adams-led alternative country groundbreaking late 90s band, 
who specialized in that just roots, Americana, rock, bluegrassy, country rock, folk combination. If they ever got back together, your boy BC, even though Ryan Adams has made some horrific headlines in the Me Too era of late with the Molly, uh, with the with the Mandy Moore fallout of his marriage, but um, that would be some shit for me. But Luke, that's a deep cut for me personally. I'm sure you have some, you know, uh, um, death by abortion rock band to 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 bring out in. Uh, and really, no, no it. Texas bands. Uh, or actually, you're like, if well, there. if Dimebag Daryl could come back from the dead, I, that's my pick. That's probably where you're at, right, Luke? No, but I'm glad that you've decided for me what my pick is and what it isn't. My answer is going to be Clips, which I just kind of mentioned. It was the two brothers, Pusha T and Malice, and then Malice kind of had this uh, conversion to Christianity, so he became literally no Malice, was is now his name. He became literally awesome. Yes. No, he became terrible because they don't make music anymore, and the music they made before was fucking amazing. Obviously, Pusha T is still out there doing his thing, but I wish that Clips were back together as good as Pusha T is. So, sucks that Malice or No Malice did what he did, but what are you going to do? All right, all right, Luke. Um, dude, somebody sent... Who is this guy? Somebody sent me this band that I was supposed to check out, and they're interesting, Luke. It's progressive metal. I'm going to have to get back to you on this, okay, Luke? Oh, have you ever heard of the band... Between the buried and me, it, uh, it's I've progressive him, yes. death metal. And um, some fella, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have your name right in front of me. He sent me. He's like, dude, you got to listen to the 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 Parallax Two Future Sequence album. And Luke, the singing is atrocious because it's death metal, but the music is a a a common wave between you know, hardcore metal and progressive rock and almost jazz influence. It's some great shit. And a lot of people are telling me, hey, BC, the bridge between you and Luke, the common ground, it's not just Rage Against the Machine or 90s alt rock. It actually is that that bridge between Luke's crazy death metal and my love for very sophisticated jazz fusion, progressive rock. There is a middle ground there. There's a genre, Luke, that people said we could be hanging out in, watching season two of The Wire together. Listen, I got in your car the Melissa Etheridge mobile, and in there you just had like Ravi Shankar fucking, no, you know, no, I had They're just I nine had, hours of Ravi Shankar on the fucking sitar, just I, jamming no, to nothing no. in particular. I'm like, the what real the ones, fuck no. are we listening to? I had the Mahavishnu Orchestra with, with the great John McLaughlin, and it was a weird track with a lot of bang, bang, bang. And Luke, he has an Indian influence. He's got a spinoff band called Shakti. But... I, I could have picked a lot. I, like, if Weather Report had been on, you would have given, you'd been getting down with me. But unfortunately, yeah, it was like if you were like, hey, BC, here's uh, Dying Fetus's hardest track. I would. Uh, Let me ask you, are you into, you're into that kind of music. Why aren't you, are you into Indian food? I like it. I like it. I like a good Indian oh, buffet. See, I think Indian food is just like, it's just, it's just unbelievably good. You yeah, get this cool, weird yeah, thing yeah. where you're, you got like experimental music tastes. You got like okay food tastes. Well, yeah, I grew up as basic in food wise as you can, but I'm start trying to evolve over the years. Luke, can I ask you quickly about death metal? Why? Uh, how could you tolerate the singing? I mean, it's atrocious, Luke. Well, it, uh, here, here's the thing: people think I like all kinds of death metal. I don't. I like a little bit of it. Um, there's a couple of bands I like a lot, obviously, but most of the time, people send me recommendations to li listen to like Vomitorium. And I'm like, no, that, this is terrible. I don't want anything to do with this. I just make a couple of exceptions along the way. All right. Well, shout out to Corey Marlin for hooking me up with that band. He's I'm, I'm getting him into Cream just the same. Luke, not my Cream, uh, not Cream. Get on top, but the uh, one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, all right, Luke. With the, you know, uh, one the day anti-vaxer Eric Clapton. 
One day, look, the thing is about you and me, and we had a little dust up today. I'm not, I'm not afraid to document our divorce on a, on a documentary. I'm not afraid. <laughs> I, look, I go so close to the fire and the edge on this show that if it leads to us never talking again, I'll sacrifice that for the art, okay? I just well, want you to know Well, before we do that, we need to watch elder abuse and uh, lions eating fucking hippos, I guess. It's time for your stuff. Yeah, we scour the globe, Luke. The good and the bad, the ugly, the highs and lows and in between of combat sports and beyond. And we are two weeks out. So this is going to be a loaded one. Shout out to Gaff for compiling all this shit. Have you seen it, in fact? Let's do this. All right, Gaff Pierre on the ones and twos setting me up, Luke. How about we go to PFL from two weeks ago? I had to bring this back. Brandon Jenkins with the flying knee KO, Luke. This is going to be a nice little appetizer to get us ready for what's coming. Yeah, baby. Oof. Jumping switch knee, bop. That's the one like Paul Daly hit on Brennan Ward, I believe. Pretty close. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Good stuff right there from Brandon. Don't call me Bubba Jenkins. All right, let's go over to Nacionis MMA 1. This is Yvonne Perez. Not only does he knock out Emmanuel Rivero, but how dirty is this? Is this oh, uh... <laughs> the old Hendo? The old, the old UFC punch. 100 stamp that he put on there. Wow. Bah. You, you don't have enough brain damage. Let me help you with that. <laughs> I think that's regional uh, uh, Mexican MMA. There's no rules, Luke. There's no rules, okay? Let's keep it going. Uh, let's get to some women's boxing LOLs. You see this face-off kiss, Luke? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, Yeah. Are Why we did I wear fight? pants today? <laughs> Well, Luke, if that didn't get you off, this will. Polish boxing, Iwa Brodnicka. Yeah, she brought a damn dildos. She brought a damn dildo and put it in the face of Anelia Bogus. Anelia's not taking that shit, Luke. At least not with cameras around, you know? Dude, these are your type of women right here. <laughs> this is this is the BC fucking center of the target right here. <laughs> That is inventive. It's like, Eastern, it's like Easter, pasty Eastern European women in scantily, clo uh, scantily clad clothing throwing dildos at each other. That's <laughs> I mean, remember sometimes like Matafari will bring gifts to the scales to, for the face off, you know, and we're like, what's going on here? This is an interesting gift right here, Luke. So, uh, wow. All right. Let's keep it going. Let's go over to the women's kickboxing ring, Luke. This is a vicious KO. Get ready for this shit, Luke. I was going to say, is the left hook going to keep landing? And yes, the left hook is going to keep landing. God. That's one of those where you just, oh, it's like WWE with the, it's open the coffin, they fall right in, the match is over, Luke. I mean, uh, that they is. Fall, they fall face first. You can just go ahead and call the stretcher over yeah. immediately. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, Luke, you have a problem with tough people wearing gloves when they work out. Well, say it to their face. Here's Teofimo Lopez Jr. getting ready for yeah. his, his Tuesday night thriller showdown, Luke. Yeah, I, I don't know if he knows this, but this will do nothing for your bench. He's working his abs at the same time, Luke, okay? Yeah, you could it's learn a core, from if he wants to work on his core, it's great for your core. It ain't going to do shit for your bench. Okay. Yeah, that those red gloves must anger you, Luke. That's just anger in you. I, I just, love I it. just, you know, I, I like Teo a lot. I think he's an incredible boxer. I got to have a talk with him about these. Okay, we'll have him on. We'll have him on. We'll get down to the bottom of it. Let's go over to one championship, Luke. What the hell is your boys Gordon Ryan and Gary Tonin doing here? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's funny, I guess, Luke, a little, 
Play a little How's Your Father? Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Bad to the bone, these guys, Luke. Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's keep it rolling. Uh, Luke, you remember UFC newcomer Chris Motinho? Check this out. Okay, he's my new favorite fighter. <laughs> People don't know, this is where BC and I hang out before Red <laughs> Rich Shoe <Do> Diaries. <laughs> Room Service Diaries. Only, only it's it's Manich and Gaff sitting topless on top of the uh, washer and I mean, and dryer this man yeah. is just living life in a way that I could not possibly critique. Luke, uh, this is... I, how much weed is in that uh, is in that I'll, washer? I'll say this. He is wasting a lot of perfectly good grass over there, but um, God bless him. He is having some fun, and the ladies are too. Who's having a bad time over there? I don't see anybody having a bad time. So There's more weed in that dryer than what Nate Newton got caught with when they pulled him over, Luke. Remember that? Wow. Remember Nate Newton? He had like 5,000 pounds of weed in his trunk when they pulled him over that time, Luke. It was incredible. Uh, let's keep it going here. Major League Baseball shenanigans, Luke. Francis Ngannou throws out the first pitch at the Angels, ga Angels game, but he does it sidearm. You know what? It was a strike. Okay. So who cares? He didn't. He didn't bounce it in or do some fifty cent bullshit. So that's good, right? Dude, when you when you do it sidearm though, don't you have to like kind of step over and lean as you throw? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like do you do you make it's like when uh, Rick Barry and Wilt Chamberlain would shoot free throws underhanded. It, it looks it looks lame as shit, Luke. But if if it works, right? You know, that's right. That's my that's my attitude. Does it work? Does it not work? All right, Luke. Check out these fans at Nationals Ballpark, just living life, drinking out of a out of a paralyzed guy's leg, Luke. A prosthetic, you mean? Prosthetic leg. Sorry about that, Luke. Sorry about that's that. That's here in D.C. Yeah, dude. There was a guy in my gym. Uh, what day is it today? Tuesday. Saturday, there was a guy at my gym with a prosthetic leg like this, and he was squatting 400 pounds with good form. I was Damn, pretty impressed. And then, and then he celebrated by drinking out of his bum leg, Luke. That's fantastic. Good, God, good for him, dude. He fucking earned it. All right, let's go to Chicago, Luke. You get those White Sox and Cubs fans together. It can get a little fiery. Let's zoom in here if we can. I never understand Chicago rivalries. Obviously, I get this one, but in general... Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! This guy wants the—he wants all the smoke. This guy. Oh yeah, just a lot of shoving. Boy, By the way, thank that's God a for, th BC. Thank God for steady cam. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a boss move to just push somebody over as they're coming at you. I I'm into that. Tell, dude, tell me you have the one where the guy in the Dodgers game gets slept. Uh, maybe not on this one, Luke. That'll have to be oh, next week. Oh, how do you miss that one? It's so much better than this one. Uh, Luke, let's go over to the bathroom. Uh, you down with this sink? Would you use it, Luke? Willingly? I definitely wouldn't drink out of the toilet, I can tell you that. Uh, make sure you pull your fly up before washing your hands at this place, Luke, okay? You know what I'm saying? Unless that's your thing. All right. Hoagie farts once again to the rescue. Always, always. Uh, Luke, the dangers of drinking are upon us. Um, I don't know what they call this, a butt crack and tonic? That's uh, that's some uh, oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> were they were they were they white BC? I can't. Oh right, right. All right, Luke, you'll drink your eye people out. Get, people get mad at me. Jose, go back for just a second. I'm not saying that people of all races don't do drunk shit. They everyone everyone drinks. Everyone bombs out. But dude, this shit about pouring 
booze down the ass crack of your friend and then catching at the bottom like a fucking ball sack luge and then drinking it that is the exclusive province of whitey 100 uh, percent. let's go over to the bar luke you'll drink your eye out you got to be careful here check out this guy in the center oh oh yikes 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 all right yeah, that's my man. Uh, my man, take it easy on the uh, the fishbowl drink. That's what we called them at. I used to go to this place in New York when I was broke as fuck called Brother Jimmy's. Oh, and I love like that 20, place. Yeah, and then for twenty bucks they'd bring you that that like that fishbowl full of like purple liquid that would get you fucked up. New York City dive that. bars that maintain like competitive pricing, Luke, are like the the jewel Those are of my the Nile. When I first moved to New York, I was broke as shit. There was one place called Down the Hatch. It's in the village. And uh, it used to be, I'm sure it's changed now, it used to be, so this was 2003, it used to be you go there 20 bucks from noon until the big game started in the evening, so like 6, all you can drink, all you can eat. I used to go there and get fucking housed, dude. Oh yeah, Luke, I'm having some poster issues here, Luke, okay? You have a lot more than poster issues. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's keep this this crap going, Luke. What you mentioned earlier, but white people are are, are going to white, Luke. Um, check out this drive-through in Florida. Okay, but this is genius. That's different. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get that wave pool going, Luke. Listen, you're not. Is this honestly though? Is this any worse than normal above-ground pools? Uh. uh... I feel like above ground pools are nubs as shit. All right. All right. It's good that you're hosting this, BC. I'm glad. Yeah, it's it's good that my office is falling apart here. Uh, Let's keep on going, Luke. Check out these dickheads. This is when you mix gymnastics and drinking, Luke. You 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 could catapult your spine out of that. Yeah. Wow. Um,. Just got quiet in here. Okay. I guess they're in a relationship now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Check out this drunk guy getting shafted here, Luke. Both of these guys, actually. You got to, you, you know, you got to be careful messing around when you're sloppy drunk. Watch out. Watch out. Watch. Oh, Ooh. no. Oh, no. Bye. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm watching this like, like Job of the Hut when he pulls the thing out and Luke goes into the, the, the dungeon. Yeah. Sent, sent to hell. Tunaka solo. <laughs> Quite literally. All right. Hey, hey, we got we got footage from the future here, Luke. We went in the DeLorean. Here's Luke 40 years from now. Oh, we went to watch this old guy drown. <laughs> oh, the kid had floaties. I don't feel bad. <laughs> That's definitely Luke to his great grandkids. Many many a year from now. Hey, For Luke. Sure. Anthony Rumble Johnson posted um, pictures of his dog's toy. How badass is that? I wish I had that. Yeah. That's that's the amount of weed that 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 would do with smoking in the dryer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Luke, I wasn't gonna put this on here, but I got so many requests to get in on the milk crate fever. So uh, here we go. Let's watch some people get sent to hell, Luke. Oh, oh. Jesus! Wow. I dude, kiss that okay. pavement. This guy is, as we mentioned on Room Service Diaries, this guy's young, so I don't care about him. He sucks. It's the old dudes. I always feel so bad yeah. for. Luke, what about if we combine a baby reveal with a milk crate challenge? Will that get you fired up? Oh, no. Oh, no. 
congratulations, you're going to be a dad. Here's your wheelchair, you paralyzed bitch. <laughs> the, the good news is you're, getting, you're having a son. The bad news is you'll never walk again. All right. You know what? Good. Actually, this is my favorite form of reveal. If you're going to do gender reveal parties, which is the dumbest fucking thing on earth, you should have to be maimed for it. Yeah. yeah so you should, I'm okay. You, all right. Uh, let's keep this rolling here, Luke. This is uh, similar to how sweaty you were just New leaving your... Subway. Your hotel room in Cleveland, only you didn't have a giant dick stain on the back. I apologize, BC. I sat on this guy's back right before someone shot this. <laughs> he gave you a piggyback ride, and that was, that was the... Uh, yeah, uh, sorry about right. that, dude. Hey, Luke, we're going to close with America's favorite game. It's called Rate My Tat. I want you to give me a score here on 1 to 10. 10 being a badass tat, 1 being it sucks. Here's Brandon Moreno, the UFC flyweight champion's sword on his left arm i can't read it Estee, one more time Estee, Estee lauder shit este juego no that's un uh oh uh this game is not a marathon uh yeah i don't know uh i, I don't know about the lettering start start over from the beginning Don't know about the lettering. What I would say, though, is, and the line works a little off, but that could be intentional. Yeah. Um, placement's decent. Goes with the body and the flow. I'll give it a seven and a half. That's respect. So. I respect that. Let's keep it rolling here, Luke. Check out this Pink Floyd tattoo. I might actually have to get this, Luke. Oh, that the is an excellent tattoo. That that's is. That's the album cover of Wish You Were Here, of course. Uh, yeah. That is awesome. That yes. is, I mean, look at the work with the suit crinkles. Uh, that's that's about a nine and a half. That is yeah. an excellent tattoo. And that is you on the left, me on the right. It really sums up this show, Luke, in a lot of ways. So maybe I will get that with an MK in the middle between their legs there. That, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, let's keep it rolling here, Luke. Uh, here's soccer player Matteo Palatano is back. Give this one a score. That's a nine and a half. That is an absolutely incredible piece of work. Um, it's got depth. It's got... Uh, shading it's got line work it's got i mean uh sparing but incredible use of coloring that's extremely good all right let's go over to uh detroit's finest thomas hitman hearns inspired uh oh first we have sugar sean o'malley getting luke his own silhouette of him doing the fadeaway jumper on his neck let me see it again <laughs> yeah, that's about a five that's not <laughs> not great <laughs> placement is not great either listen and i say this as someone who's got some fives on his body too i've made some tattoo mistakes like he yeah. who was without sin cast the first stone but that's a five you've had a lot of fives in the dorm rooms too luke back in probably the day probably yeah. that's not that's not unfair after the william and mary mathlete challenge uh here's thomas the hitman hearns on a white guy's uh calf luke you into it um, well, if, if it's brand new, when you, one thing you always have to remember when it's brand new like that, it's always going to be darker and like purpley. And so you can kind of see that it will lighten up. It's hard to see from this distance. I'll say it looks okay. Not great. The okay. posture's not right. Um, um, the hand placement's a little bit off the chins a little bit. It, yeah, it's a bit busted actually. All right. We got two busted. more. Uh, this is inspired by the great boxing artist, Richard T. Sloan. Here's a Pacquiao Margarito tat on some guy's chest, Luke. That thing's a mess. That's a mess. I realize what you were trying to do with it in, in the fight poster, but 
you know, he made the fight poster work, I think, about okay, but imagine it's picking hard that fight. Imagine picking that fight to be on your chest for the rest of your life. I mean, there's better fights you could have picked, uh, you know? I know. It, it was fine. Pacquiao just tuned him up for uh, the whole fight, really, and, you know, Margarito just kind of stood there. It wasn't that awesome. I mean, I, I could get Gotti Ward on my chest. I could understand that. Corrales Castillo. God, Triple G Canelo I'd have on my chest over this shit, all right? All right, let's close with this Star Wars tat on the arm, Luke. You got to factor into your score how it looks with the sleeve. Um, not great. Not a great tattoo. <laughs> That's a three, if not a two. Yeah, but when you put the sleeve on, suddenly it looks like that dong on the chest of Brock Lesnar, Luke. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, you've got a dick and balls. That's an X-wing. <laughs> and then you pull up the arm and you've just got childlike black and gray work. That is that is bad. And also the farmer's tan is nice where the, the head of the dick is all tan, but the balls are all white and shriveled. <laughs> Way to go, guy. <laughs> That's it, Luke. That's the shit for the week. Hope you hope you saw it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, BC, time for odds and ends. What do you have for odds and ends? Uh, DAZN over the weekend in boxing. Unfortunately, that main event, the rematch with Mauricio Lada and Josh Warrington was turned into a no contest due to a cut, a bad cut across Lara's entire eye in the, I believe, the second round. But, Luke, the Coleman event was all about Katie Taylor, and she handled Jennifer Hahn like we expected, defending all four lightweight titles with a knockdown and identical scores of, like, 100 to 89. Dominant performance. But here's the good news for all you fans who realize that Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano for the undisputed lightweight championship, it really could be, in terms of their talent, Arguably the greatest women's boxing match of all time, and it really has that potential. Let's hear from promoter Eddie Hearn, Katie Taylor's promoter, after the fight. You can headline that. Um, I think she fights again in December, and then I think she has to fight Amanda Serrano. I mean, it's not her fault that that fight hasn't been made. Um, it was a mixture of many things, but that's the past. The you, think future, you can get that over the line. I, I think we have to. You know, I think Amanda Serrano fancies that fight. I believe she's done a fantastic job to raise her profile. She brings tremendous value in that fight as well. She can be rewarded for that value. I think we can headline that, that fight at Madison Square Garden. By far and away the biggest fight in women's boxing. Um, we have to do that fight. We have to make that fight because I feel that if we don't it will be a, a piece missing of a wonderful career. Look, this was great to hear. Obviously this fight almost got made a couple times in the past two years. COVID took away from it. They, you know, Serrano's team pulled out multiple times thinking they were getting shorted on money. But to Eddie and Katie's credit, they both said that what Serrano has done since then in the past year plus, right? She had that close-up, that big fight on uh, NBC Sports on Ring City USA, which is a, a, a platform I've done some work on, and then came back on the co-main of the Jake Paul pay-per-view against Tyron Woodley. They believe that Serrano has raised her profile to a new level. Luke, when Eddie Hearn said words like Madison Square Garden. I think that has the potential to give this fight the the credence and and just royalty that it deserves. I'm not kidding when I'm saying when you're matching up their talents still in their prime, although both are in their mid-30s, this could be, you know, maybe the best women's fight on paper in history. Um, Katie Taylor also said, look, from here on out, I'm 35. I only want super fights pay-per-view fights, big-time fights from here on out. I respect that. Luke, I'm just finding out now. I didn't know this. Katie Taylor lives and trains full-time in Vernon, Connecticut, which is about a half hour from where I live right now. We could have been, been hanging out. Uh, but uh, big win for Taylor. 
make this fight. Thank you. Please, let's pay let's pay Amanda Serrano what she deserves and let's make this fight. This is massive. Yeah, and it would, at Madison Square Garden, the Puerto Rican and Irish fans would be just an unbelievable And, and real combo. quick, Luke, we've done the argument in the last couple of years, rightfully so, women's boxing at 10 rounds instead of 12 for title fights and two minutes instead of three per round. Enough of this bullshit. If there was ever a fight to change the rules across the board for all states and all sanctioning bodies and make it universal that it's time to treat women on the level of the men and realize that you're only robbing from the entertainment value by doing two-minute rounds, this would be the first fight to debut that across the board. I'm just giving ideas to people, Luke. I think you're right. Uh, For my odds and ends, I'm going to go with Glory 78 results. We talked about it on Friday a little bit, or at least we previewed the fights to a small degree. Uh, so Alex Pereira lost to Vakitov, which was not altogether unsurprising. He's basically had one foot out the door to MMA the entire time. Afterwards, he even said as much like, Hey, this is maybe not my last fight, but, uh, my next fight's definitely going to be in an MMA cage. It was a majority decision, I believe. So, um, Vakitov, you know, there was a, there was a spirit of contest. It was back and forth, but in the end he was the rightful winner. The more interesting result though, came in the main event. I cannot pronounce the guy's first name, but I think his name is Verjoshik, Verjoshak, something like that. With Batterhari, Batterhari goes in there looking smooth, beating this guy up, drops him twice in the first round, then drops him a third time. These are all from liver shots for the most part in the, in the second round. So he goes down three times. And then as Batterhari walks forward with his jab, he eats a head kick and the whole shit comes undone. He loses. So they probably will run that back. Kickboxing is a bit of a rematch sport anyway, so I think it'll be okay. But the the crowd felt big. The event felt big. Glory did a great job with it. But what a fucking result for Better Hari, man. That was in the bag and uh, quite surprising in the NBC. Let me say this. Our guy, Todd Grisham, who's known for being able to rise to the big moments, it's sort of, you know, like a Moro Ronaldo, although, you know, Moro Ronaldo's on, on obviously historically his own levels, but Todd nailed that call. He rose and to also, the occasion and Well, I was going to say, it. BC, on top of that, his, his partner, Joseph Valtellini, he saw the head kick first, so he, you could hear him react to it immediately. And then when Grisham sees what the fuck, because it takes a second because the head kick landed, but it wasn't like Better Hari went like this or something. He just kind of fell over, and then there was blood on the ring. But what a fucking win, man. God, Here's what's wild. They're calling this, you know, maybe one of, you know, among the most dramatic comeback wins in the history of combat sports. And, look, I'm not familiar with the rules enough. People were saying that if there was a fourth knockdown, it would have ended the fight. So Hari looked, about Hari looked like he was on the way to landing that final knockdown. Is that the rule? What's the rule here on knockdown? I'm honestly not sure. That has been the rule previously. I don't know if it's still the rule. Uh, again, I'm not, we, we are yeah. very casual kickboxing fans. So I, I apologize to the audience for that. But at a bare minimum, BC, you could see it. He was getting eaten alive with liver shots and collapsing in anguish and then just happened to pull off a really well-timed head kick counter to a jab. And that's all she and wrote. what's crazy is... You know, that wasn't, it was a lucky shot for sure. It was a Hail Mary, but it wasn't the kind that like turned somebody's chin and you're like, no doubt. It was kind of like, it almost, you had to rewatch it a couple of times. You're like, did that hit the right spot? But it hit him in the temple, it caught him and it did enough to prevent him from being able to stand up. Luke, unfortunately for Badr who's, you know, 36, this is a, uh, he, he hasn't won in five fights and now four of those one no contest and four knockout losses. So this is the end, it seems, Luke, of a of a great career. And a rematch would be interesting since he was dominant there. I mean, I'm saying the end, meaning I don't know how much longer you can linger when you're taking losses like that. But um, 
that was pretty telling, Luke, that he doesn't seem to have the resistance anymore that he that he certainly once did in his prime. Still, I think he's such a huge name in Dutch kickboxing. He'll still be around, but you're right. Like his best days appear to be behind him. Uh, that's it for today's show. I want to remind folks, DraftKings, as BC put it quite articulately, it's MK, it's DK together. Okay, great partnership. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code COMBAT, COMBAT with a K, K-O-M-B-A-T, to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any NFL football game and get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code COMBAT with a K this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And as we said, BC, tonight's Contender Series, there'll be a show tomorrow. You can go and bet on the Contender Series on the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you want to enter that chance to win a million dollars. That's not bad. Okay. Not, not to mention the deal that Luke just stated, giving you $200. So check that out. Support what we're doing here by getting on board with what's going on with DraftKings. There's no, no reason not to, uh, enhance your viewing experience by helping us get to the next level. So shout out to our folks at DraftKings. Let's make this work. Also, Luke, let's not forget our schedule. Today is Tuesday because of the Labor Day holiday yesterday. Today's also Rosh Hashanah, so shout out to uh, to Pennington James and our other uh, brethren in the tribe. And also, we will be back tomorrow. We'll have a Wednesday show this week. We'll have a Friday show back on normal schedule. But back at it tomorrow, looking at the latest headlines, uh, recapping what goes on tonight on the uh, Dana White Contender Series. And uh, I don't know, Luke, should we bring back the wheel tomorrow? Up to you. Up to you. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, that's it for us. Uh, remind everyone, if you want to try Showtime, you can. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go somewhere else. We do have merch, morningcombat.store. I don't quite know what's on there, but you can go and see and see if there's anything you like. And by the way, we do, in fact, have worldwide shipping. It is available. Um, you can get at us on social media. BC and I have slightly different names between Twitter and Instagram, but Morning Combat is consistent across the board right there on Twitter, on Instagram, and of course, youtube.com slash morningcombat. Um, all right, that's it for Malka, for CBS Sports, for the King of Connecticut, and everyone else in between. I'm Luke Thomas. We'll see you tomorrow, 11 a.m. in the East. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal. In Colorado, you can legally gamble in Blackhawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, and licensed online sports betting. Protect our communities. Learn more at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER.